And we are back. Happy Chuck and Hustle Tuesday. How is everyone? Um, listen, today we have a dope show for y'all as always. Um, I got to speak with Pierre Laguerre, um, who is the founder and CEO of Fleeting. Um, Fleeting is a app um, and a platform that connects drivers um, with jobs, to really put it simply. Um, you know, this, this, uh, this innovative app is really, really dope. Um, you know, Pierre's story is, um, definitely an inspiring one. Um, he actually started out as a driver. Um, he, he, he became an owner operator, worked, um, in the tanker game for a little bit, um, ended up getting into driver staffing and, uh, would ultimately, uh, grow a fleet. And then he would create this tech company fleeting. Um, so he, I mean, he's been in so many different industries and just kind of like, you know, felt his way through it all, man. And you'll kind of hear more about that. Um, just really inspiring to hear this story, um, you know, where Pierre comes from um, and, and where he is now. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely going to enjoy that. Um, a few housekeeping items. Make sure that you guys are following all our social platforms, Truck and Hustle, um, everywhere on Instagram, Truck and Hustle Pod on Twitter. Um, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, Truck and Hustle TV. Got more updates coming there. And um, make sure you le- uh, you rate and review the show, man. We, we definitely need those ratings and those reviews um, on Apple. Um, you know, it brings more awareness to the show, more visibility, um, so people can discover the show. All right, so I need y'all to do those few favors for me. I appreciate you. Um, Hustle fam, you know what time it is. Put your ears on. And if you smell something burning, it's only your desire. Let's go. What's up, y'all? This is Ramel Watley. And welcome to Truckin' Hustle, the podcast for trucking entrepreneurs. If you want to learn about the trucking industry from the business side of things, you're in the right place. Every week, I interview the people who are making it happen on a daily basis. I get them to share their successes, their failures, and sometimes even their secrets. The goal is to show you how you too can create financial freedom in the booming trucking industry. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Sometimes you just have to jump off the building. Jump off. And grow some damn wings before you hit the ground. Jump off the building and just pray to God you put the work in before you hit the ground, you grow some goddamn wings. That's the best way because too often you have people that have great talent, great ideas, but they don't execute in them because they was afraid of what the world was going to say. They was afraid of what the challenge was going to be. So they never done it. Turn my mic up. Take there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, on the road to the riches, life takes a toll like bridges, good friends become foes and snitches, better watch who knows in your business. All right, y'all, hustle fam, hustle fam, hustle fam, we got a special, special treat um, for y'all today. Um, joining us today, we have my man, Pierre Laguerre, um, founder and CEO of Fleeting, right? Yeah. So, so, so check it out. Yeah. Just to give you a little bit of backstory. Um, you know, when, 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 when I reach out, you know, before I bring somebody on the show, I always like to reach out to my guests and just, you know, kind of vibe with them a little bit. And, 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 you know, so we just, you know, kind of, kind of talk a little bit before we get on the show. And man, when I, when I got on the line with Pierre, let me tell you something, man, this is one of the most awesome, um, conversations that I had with a guest prior to bringing them on the show, because I found out that we had so much in common and our stories and our journey in transportation was so similar, and it was just really dope, man. So I'm really excited to have this conversation for you guys so you can hear it 
And, um, you know, Pierre's story is, is awesome, and you guys are going to really, really enjoy it. So, Pierre, welcome to the show, man. Man, man, thank you, man. Thanks for having me, man. Congratulations on what you're doing out there, brother. Just want to say that, too, man. You're doing something amazing, being able to bring the news to the forefront to the people and kind of educating them in transportation and showing the opportunity. So, man, big shout out to yourself for doing that, man. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. For sure, for sure. Let's get it. All right, well, let's start with this. Just so people know what you're currently doing now, Fleeting. What, what is Fleeting? Yeah, man. So Fleeting is a, is a marketplace that connects CDL truck drivers to trucking companies for on-demand and um, temporary um, transportation needs. So what it is is much more a platform that help companies minimize driver churn by giving them access to a pool of truck drivers they can tap into 24-7 to keep their trucks running. At the same time, giving truck drivers the ability to make their own schedule and work for a company that works best for them and also earn more money and sometimes the same as an owner-operator without even owning a truck. So that's pretty much who we are in a company called Fleeting. Okay, dope, go, dope. So basically, you guys connect um, drivers, CDL, Class A, Class B drivers with um, companies who have their own trucks, have their own equipment, have their own contracts, and basically just drivers with carriers, and that's what you guys do. Yes, we do that through a a mobile platform for the the trucking companies. It's it's on a dashboard, pretty much. It's computer-based. And for the drivers, it's a mobile app. Okay, dope. All right, so let, let, let's get started with the story, man. Um, let's start from the beginning. Um, talk about where you're from, um, your background a little bit, just to give, give the Hustle fam a little bit of context where you're coming from, brother. Oh, man, I got a, I got a long story, man. <laughs> we got time. We got time. The Hustle fam, they, they, they're used to listening, so talk to us. We, we got time. All good, man. All good. Uh, man, where do I start, man? Um, well, I was born and raised in Haiti, um, for sure, right? Um, okay, stop, I said. Yeah, I'm in all my zones, you know? For so, sure. born and raised in Haiti, came here when I was 15, and what was interesting was the picture that I had in my head for what I thought what America looked like wasn't exactly the same picture that I saw when I got here, right? So, when I was a kid in Haiti, I, I had this dream of becoming a doctor, but when I got here, like, literally, like, felt exactly in the hood, you understand? I was in um, East Flatbush. In the early nineties, you from Brooklyn, so you you totally understand what no Brooklyn doubt. looked like around those times. So it was pretty much from coming from Haiti and coming to America, and like I said, the the vision that I had for America and being in the hood, it was much more like cultural shock, right? So I went on from dreaming of becoming a doctor to only dreaming of staying alive because everything around me was really gang banging, drug dealing, you know, young brothers killing each other, you know, the street filled with drug addict. So it was kind of like. How do I go from here now? How do I escape this community? It was, it was like being a doctor is going to take about 18 years. I need to get away from this place now, right? So trucking was always a way for me to think about maybe, well, you know, I get in the truck and just drive the highway and never come back, you understand, to this rat hole, what I used to call it. But still living in there, like I said, it was just kind of like, you know, being adapted to it, to seeing the lifestyle, to see how people were going through it. it was, so for me, it was like, okay, I don't want to be a product of this environment. You understand? I don't want to be a statistic to this community. How do I get the hell up out of there? And one thing that really did it for me also was after I graduated high school, my uncle took me on this cruise, right? And what that cruise did for me, it really changed my entire perception of the world. That's when I realized the world didn't revolve just around the hood. There was much more outside of the world you understand, then what the hood had to offer. So that really stuck in my mind. And it was like, okay, well, how do I live that life? How do I get to go places that, you know, that doesn't look sad? That doesn't, you know, it's not crime riddle. So from there, I did go to college, uh, study electrical engineering for about a year. But financially, you know, it was very hard. I really couldn't do it. Then I finally made the 
the faith, man. I jumped and became a truck driver full time, got my CDL and said, hell with it. I'm just going to leave this hood and just kind of like stay on the road. I did that. Um, my first company I worked for was um, XPO Logistics. But, um, but at the time it was called um, Conway Freight. Um, drove for them, drove doubles, triples. And then after that, I went on to work for Performance Food Group out of um, Elizabeth, New Jersey. Worked for them for about maybe three, four years. But what was interesting about working for Performance was I started doing the food deliveries in the same college that I was going to, right? So as you know, Performance Food Group, they deliver foods to, you know, schools, hospitals, and restaurants. And fortunately for me, I started doing deliveries at the same college that I was at. And I was a little bit ashamed, embarrassed. You know, I didn't want my friends to see me. I didn't want my professors to see me. And man, one day my professor really ran into me as I'm trying to rush out the building. And he said, Pierre, that's you? I said, yeah, man, what's going on? He said, what's up? Why, why are you hiding? Why are you running? I said, well, you know, I dropped out of college to be a trucker, man. I didn't want to look like a loser. He was like, how much are you making a year? At the time I was making about what, 90K a year. He said, well, half of these kids is going to graduate. It's not going to see 90K a year. So I want you to be prideful, own it, and be the best trucker you can be. And to be honest with you, man, that message really resonated with me. Like, you know, it really dwelled on me. And as me being a truck driver, I was always trying to educate myself while I'm driving, um, learn how to, how do I get more understanding of how the stock market works. So I really was doing something that I didn't even know myself. I started really trading and I did good that year in a company called Solar City Corp. And what I did, man, I took the leap again. I purchased my first truck and became an owner operator. So being an owner operator was now, it's totally different. As you know, you being a, a company driver, you just show up, they give you a truck, they give you a paperwork, you get the deliveries done, you go home. You don't have to worry about nothing. Now, when you're owner operator now, it's a different ball game, right? You own that asset. You have to pay fuel. You have to pay toll. You have to deal with maintenance. You understand? You have to deal with brokers. So it was a different ball game from being an owner op- from being an owner operator um, to a driver. So I started learning a lot in opera and being a driver. And one thing I started seeing was, hold up, I own this truck. I'm paying all these expenses, but you got somebody sitting in between dictating the loads that I'm taking, right? And that person is making a killing. So I said, okay, I need to educate myself. So what I did, I went and took a course at uh, Wagner College for supply chain logistics and get to truly understand who controls the freight. How does the move? Like, you understand who makes X, Y, and Z? So once I really start to understand this is how it worked, I went over from driving. I was doing driving and reefer. I said, no, you know what? I don't even want to deal with that anymore because it was like a dog eat dog world. Like, you understand the way the brokers was kind of like, you know, playing with drivers with the freight. I said, man, I'm going to go towards Tanker. So Tanker wasn't like too much of a uh, fast-rated market. So it was really kind of like, although it was hard to get into, but that's where I made the most money at. So I got into Tanker. I understood it and had a direct relationship with a company out in Texas because I used to work for a company called Linden Book. So once I started doing that lane for Texas to Jersey, I really started making good money, you know, like really doing good for myself, um, really move out of that community, got to New Jersey, got married, you know, got a family. But as we know, being a trucker, you know, always on the road, especially when you own that truck, is not, you know, too often we think when we buy a truck, we're buying a freedom, right? Because we call ourselves the owner operator. But too often what happens is we realize that we become a slave to that truck because if you don't work, you know, you don't make nothing and you still have that truck payment and you still have that truck maintenance. So that created some, a lot of problem at home. Finally um, went through a divorce, got into a car accident in 2014, I believe. And man, everything went down the drain from there, right? Just... Kind of, I lost my car. I was out of work for about 11 months. Finally lost my truck. So I'm back to square one. The same community that I had left 
You understand? Trucking had took me out of, and I found myself right back in that community again, back on my face. And I'm talking about I have nothing. So I remember that year I read a book called What the CEO Wants You to Know, right? And that book also changed my perceptions. It really did it for me because my takeaway from that book was volume and profit margin, right? Then I started thinking like, okay, well, what is it that I can do, right? Or that I can sell for five, you know, 10 cents, but I can sell a million of them, you know, per day or per month, however it is. I wasn't creative enough to come up with anything. But since I lost my car, I lost my truck. Now I'm walking everywhere in Brooklyn, right? And I said to myself, like, you know, Brooklyn. So every corner, there's a corner store. There's a beauty salon. There's a restaurant. There's a barbershop. You know, so I'm saying to myself, I said, well, who's cleaning those glass, right? I said, maybe if I can get 100 customers pay me $10, I said, I could make $1,000 a week. I said, let me go ask my friend, like, what he think about this? So I literally went to a friend. I was like, yo, bro, what you think? I'm thinking about starting this window cleaning business. He looked at me and said, man, people going to think you're a crackhead, bro. I was like, wait, you done left the hood, right? You, you became a truck driver. You got your own trucks. You understand? You moved to the suburban Jersey. You coming out here, you know, doing your thing. Now you're coming back. Broke, you talking about you want to clean windows. He's like, people are really going to think you on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, you know what? That is true. But I said, to be honest with you right now, I don't have nothing. So I already look like I'm on drugs. I said, I might as well look like I'm on drugs with some money in my pocket. I said, what you think? He said, okay, well, if you get 50 customers, I'll do it with you. I said, bet. Man, I woke up the next morning. I solicited the entire Brooklyn, knocking on doors. Hi, my name is Pierre. We have a service that specializes in glass cleaning. We'll do it for X, Y, and Z. Man, to be honest with you, that same day, I had about 72 stores agree for me to clean their glass, right? Wow, wow. So the next day, went home, got my, went to my little sister. No, same day, I said, hey, sis, I need to borrow $80. I remember borrowing $80 from my little sister. And went straight to Home Depot, got me a brush. I mean, two brush, squingy, a little bucket, <laughs> some uh, Windex. And I was off to the races, man. Like, it was, I was ashamed about it, but I said, you know what? I got to do something. At the time, right. I thought it was five. And I remember there was one day I don't really speak about much. It was, I think we was going on our third day, really, not really nothing, just eating bread and peanut butter, right? And I remember sitting on a porch with her and I, it was just too much pride in me, man. And it's like, I know the little girl, I haven't fed her like that much in, you know, in three days. Like, all we've been eating is bread. Like, it was really a, a hard situation. And I remember asking my cousin, I said, hey, cuz, can you buy me a plate of Chinese food, right? Just, you know, to feed my daughter. And he's like, yeah, sure, no problem, man. He got her the food, and I watched my daughter eat the food. And as she's watching, I, I mean, as she's eating the food, I'm tearing up. Like, I'm crying. And I'm like, you know what? Never again will I ask another man for $5, Mm. to my child like you understand i was like that right here really kind of like stuck with me so when i was doing the windows you understand that was although i was ashamed of cleaning windows but i remember that pain of asking somebody for five dollars to feed my daughter so i was like you know what no matter what it takes i'm just gonna go out there and clean those windows man we got busy man it's like we put these little lime green shirt on it was my other buddy joined it was three of us and we really started kicking off in three months man we did about sixty thousand dollars cleaning windows man so Mm. Okay. Like, and the funny thing about it, when I was doing that, I was like, ah, I'm not going back to trucking. I'm going to turn this into a million dollar enterprise. But I was lying. I guess I'm so passionate. Trucking was calling me. As soon as I thought we get that money, I went right back into trucking again. This time I started a company called Mac Transport Staffing. And that company is a staffing agency, right? That company. And the reason I started that company is because being a driver, seeing how I interact with trucking companies and understand the operation i realized these companies are always looking for a great, dependable, accountable driver, right? And the same thing, drivers are always looking for a company that can provide some level of flexibility 
treat them like a human being and understand that they're not robots. So I said, well, what if I start a company where I hire the drivers and then groom them and then outsource the drivers back to the companies? How would that work? I launched the company in December 15, I believe. And the first year, I mean, the first month we did about 37K in revenue. The following year, about 786K in revenue. And the second year, we did 1.2 million in revenue. Now, mm-hmm. remember, as me being in the hood, always thinking about, okay, maybe I'll just get in the truck and just escape. I also thought about how do I own a fleet? I always wanted to own a fleet of trucks, right? So okay. I took that money and then invested into another company called JPNL Transportation. Started with three trucks and grew that company to about 16 trucks in about six months. And also did about $1.3 million in revenue in the first year. So now that company, right, I was managing my 16 trucks, 10 owner-operators, right? And then on the staffing agency side, I had about 42 to 45 drivers. So I'm pretty much running the operation almost with 80 drivers by myself, two companies simultaneously, right? I'm running the staffing agency and I'm running the full trucking companies with 10 owner operators. I'm talking about a full operation. But the thing was, I didn't have a team. I couldn't delegate, right? There was no one I could have trust. So it becomes starting to like really taking a toll on you. As you understand, like I was the driver, the dispatcher, the, the sales guy, like, you know, I was everything in the company, but that then starting to take a toll on me eventually, but then again, I don't want to sound like I'm a, um, I'm a victim of circumstances, right? So things happen in life, and I will always find a way to bounce back. And what happened again is my, I had, uh, by then, you know, things moved on. I had a third child that was born with Down syndrome in 2017. And that, again, now crushed my world again, right? Because it was just kind of felt like I was just at my peak, building those two companies, you know, doing exactly what I wanted to do. And then that bad news came in. It really, really kind of like, crushing. It was more like now I felt into the state of like not guilty, but it was just much more like pity. Like I was just feeling sorry for myself. It was like, God, why me? Like, you know, why did I have to, you know, have a child to be born, you know what I'm saying, with, you know, special needs? Because I really felt that way seriously around that time because when I was running these two companies, there's one thing I didn't mention is that the opportunities that I've gave to young brothers that look like me, how many brothers I've helped get their CDL and get out the street and become truck drivers and putting food on their tables, like, you know, taking care of their families. That was that, that was the drive beyond everything for me, right? The fact that I know I go to sleep every night putting food on 80 people's table. You understand? Well, not me doing it, but they're doing it themselves. But knowing that I played a part in that really, really stuck with me, you know? But when my son was, you know, born and I was really saying to myself, I said, God, how can that happen? Like, you know, I'm, I've done good. I've, I've gave back to my community. You know, I've gave to the less fortunate. Why I don't have to, you know, a son to be born in those circumstances. And it was as hard as it was for me to accept. I had to realize that I had to accept it. Right. My son went into the first surgery. Everything was OK. He was good. But then again, it was like still, you know, like my mind is not dead. Things are falling apart. You know, I'm not in my business just like I should. You know, I'm not really speaking to my customers like I should. It's just much more. All I'm worrying about is my son staying alive. And he went in for his second surgery around May. Now, around May, around that time, things really starting to fall apart because now drivers are calling, period, what's going on? You know, we're seeing the trucks are not dispatching, what's up, or what can we do to help? So I decided to put an event together for all my drivers and say, hey, look, let me get, you know, with these guys and let them know exactly what is going on in my personal world that, you know, what's happening. So I threw a dinner party with them. About 30, 30 something drivers showed up. We all sat down and ate. And on my way home that night, my mom was in town to, to come and visit my son. And I stopped at this restaurant in Brooklyn, right, to get her some Escovich. And, man, listen, another moment happened for me was, you know, 
got caught up from an attempt carjacking robbery and I got hit in my head and had my skull cracked, man. Kind of like, you know, pretty much leaving me with 67 staples in my head. I have a titanium plate in my forehead now. But when that happened, man, it was kind of like, felt like, you know, everything really kind of like hit rock bottom. But what was crazy was now I'm in a hospital fighting for my life. So is my son. He's still in the hospital fighting for his life. So I'm in Kings County and he's, he's in downstate, right? But what kept me alive, man, it was really seeing how my son was fighting at four months old, man. That kid was putting up a fight. And I said, God, if this kid can fight this hard, I said, there's no way I'm giving up on this dream. I said, get me at this hospital alive. I will build a team. I will add technology to build a successful, sustainable company. And by the grace of God, man, I came out the hospital 12 days later and hit the ground running, starting building Fleeting. Well, Fleeting was already in the process of being built, right, from January 2018, but still didn't know which direction I wanted to go. But once I came out the hospital, man, it's like God kind of just gave me this clear path. Like, hey, man, just went straight forward, man. So I was just that kid from the hood with a suit on, with a Yankee hat on, going to pitch competition. And I'm talking about venture tech competition. We're not talking about just regular businesses. I don't know nothing in tech. And here I am pitching an idea, going to investors and getting my butt chewed. Like, man, you don't have a team. You don't have this and you don't have that. So every time I get a no, I had to go back and do my research to understand, okay, what is it that I need to have in order for me to raise capital to start building this business? Because I understand, right? If you want to, like they say, if you want to go far, if you want to go fast, go alone, right? If you want to go far, go with a team. So for me, it was just much like, okay, well, how do I build a team around this? Because I know this is going to require a lot of capital. We're talking about building a tech company. We're talking about something that can be a potential multi-billion dollar company. So it required a lot of attention, especially at this stage. So I kept going through the, um, through the battle, going through a lot of pitch competition, getting all my nose. And then finally, man, we, got, um, we started winning some pitch competition. Then a company called Quake Capital, we got accepted into the accelerator. They invested $250,000 into the company. And, you know, then we started really doing some hiring, hiring some engineers, then I started going to a lot of events as well. Met my first co-founder, Paul, which is the, um, the COO of the company. Um, met him and, you know, he loved what we was doing. He really um, showed a lot of interest and he has a background in commercial lending. And also um, he has a background in helping young startups from early stage, kind of like, you know, get them to market and understand their, sto- um, their story and, you know, go to market strategy. So met with Paul. Then we really started working on a project, man, just really trying to hone in on the idea, like understand what it is that we need to learn what it is that we need to have in order to scale this? Because it's one thing about building a tech company. You could build it and go to market is one thing, but scaling it while you're in market is another challenge. So it was good learning. And then um, around maybe May, we graduated that accelerator program. We learned a lot. Like I said, that accelerator is like, it's kind of like getting your MBA in like, in like three months, right? So it's like they drill you in on everything about growth, you know, team, competition, go-to-market strategy, you know, exit strategy, like, you know, how you build a best product, like, in a sense, how you grow to a point where, you know, your company can become, you know, a multi-billion dollar company. So getting all that detail in three months, it, was, it really meant a lot. May came in and we really raised some more money. We had Arlen and um, Arlen was here. She invested in us as well. She, she invested $100,000 into the company and her LP is Mark Cuban, right? So that was really a good um, one. And June, we really was kind of like really doing our research with some customers, just kind of running some pilot. In July, we officially launched a better um, product, which is the app when we launched it. And man, when we really launched it, we really starting to see some growth, man. We went from doing $25,000 a month to $80,000 to $120,000 a month to now we almost do. We did over a million dollars in revenue already. We have about 16 customers, over 300 drivers on the platform. 
So all of this, I'm saying this is like, you know, here I am again, you know, after going through all of this and now building another platform where we want to add value into the trucking space. Because that's another thing I'm, I'm so excited to talk about. I'm pretty sure you have a lot of questions about this. But what we're building now, there's so much more to it. But this is where we are right now to date, man. Like I said, I could have given up. I could have, you know, been like any other young man sometime, you know, that look like us. We could be very reactive, right? And I'm glad that um, when I was in the hospital, I had a time to reflect, right? Because I was saying to myself, I said, okay, well, there's plenty of ways I can go about this situation. I can come out this hospital, pick up a gun, and open up an entourage in that store. I'm sorry for saying that, right? But this is, you in pain. This is what you're thinking. Or somebody have to feel my pain. But then also, I had to look at it like, okay, well, if I do that, what do I get out of that? Number one, another black man will be dead. Another black man, which was me, the father of three children, will be in jail. Now, my three children will have no dad around. So all I'm doing is repeating the same vicious cycle all over again. I said, no, this is not what we're going to do. I said, what I'm going to do, we're going to build this company and we're going to create an educational platform and teach young men from those communities how to become truckers and how they can make money themselves and take themselves out of that community. Because I, I ask myself this every day. That night, if those young men would have walked up to me and said, hey, man, you look fresh, man. That's a nice car you have. Like, what do you do for a living? I can guarantee you I would have had all seven of these young men being truck drivers, having their own truck, running the road. So that's what I want to do now is kind of take that experience, take that pain, take that anger, and kind of bring it back to the hood and teach these young brothers how they can become truckers and how they can live a clean life, man, and kind of get out of that community so they don't hurt another brother that look like me again. So this is why Fleeting exists, man. So I'm excited. God is on my side. And it's going to be a lot more challenges coming. But look, man, I'm ready to face them because I know I'm not alone. I have a great team with me. And once again, I have God with me. So I'm ready to, you know, bring it to the world. Wow. Wow. All right, Hustle fam. So now I think y'all understand why we had such a dope initial conversation, right? Mm -hmm. This brother has been through it all, man. You literally have, um, you know, walked in, walked in the shoes and, and going through your journey and like every step of the way you've, you've done a little bit of everything, you know what I mean? So, um, I think it's, 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 it's so dope and it's so important to what you're doing now that you've actually, you actually have had that experience, uh, previous because it's going to help you build, um, this company fleeting. All right. So we, we, we just now talked about a lot. All right? I'm, I'm just processing everything. Um, and I just want to kind of go back a little bit and kind of sure. bring us, bring us back to present. All right. So um, you said basically coming up in Brooklyn, you know yep. what I'm saying? Um, circumstances that, you know, a lot of us can resonate with, you know what I'm saying? Poverty, gang banging, um, you know, crime, whatever the case may be, we've all heard about it. Um, you said first you, uh, you, you initially wanted to, you said you initially went to college, right? You went to college yep. for electrical engineering? Electrical engineering, yes. Okay, so that was your first thing. You said, all right, the electrical engineering is not really my thing. I want to get on the road. I want to do trucking. You said you got into tankers. Okay. Yeah, so at, first I was, at first, I was working at, with- at Conway. Yeah, I worked at Conway, which is XPO Logistics now, and then okay. worked at Women's Food Group. Yeah. Okay, so, so you, did, you did the drive-in. You did, you did uh, perform PFG, which yeah. I'm very familiar with PFG. Very tough physically. Um, yeah, hard labor. labor. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Hard, hard labor. You, yeah. you got to be... Official to work at PFG. Absolutely, yep. Um, so, but but that wasn't really for you. So, when you got started in entrepreneurship, you said, "Let me get into tankers." Right. right. So, tell me about that because we haven't really covered tankers um, on the show. Um, tell me a little bit about your experience with working with the tankers. Yeah, man, tankers is a different monster. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, you know, if you understand it well and you know what you're doing, it could be very lucrative. 
All right, guys, Truck and Hustle has now partnered with Transpo CFO, powered by Venning. Transpo CFO offers a streamlined monthly subscription for businesses to consolidate their accounting, payroll, and tax needs into one flat monthly rate, saving businesses a tremendous amount of time and money while making their financial operations much smoother for the long road ahead. Check out Transpo CFO in the description below and tell them Truck and Hustle sent you. Now, let's get back to the show. As well, right? So for me, what I got out of Tinker that I really appreciated much sometime was sometime with driving, you have to wait for a shipper to kind of unload you, right? Let's not talk about reefer, right? When you're doing reefer deliveries, which I've done before as an owner operator, you don't want that, right? Flatbed, sometimes, you know, flatbed could be a little fast. But Tinker for me, what really did it, although it was dangerous, it was the fact that I know I can get to, I could get to um, facility. Number one, I can load my own tanker, right? Because I know exactly how many gallons I'm taking, you just go to the machine, you put in your numbers, but you do all that. You get all the training first. Kind of right. like, well, you go to these, um, how you call it, the fuel processing um, plants, all these chemical plants. Kind of you go in, you fill up your truck, you understand, get the um, jet fuel in there really easy, fill it up. Once you got your gallon, you go on the scale, get in, and you're on your way out to do the delivery. So now when you get to the place where you have to do the delivery, which I, which I appreciate about Tinker was, once again, now, depends on the location, there's no long line waiting, right? Of you got to wait because, you know, this door is this. No, it's liquid. You just get into where you got to go, connect your hoses to wherever you got to go and unload and you watch your way again. So Tinker was really, like I said, but although very challenging. So let me not make it sound like, you know, it was something like it was a walk in the park. Tinker is very challenging. It's not for everyone. If you really don't have like the skill of a trucker, I would say, you know, stay away from Tinker, right? Because any wrong move, you out of here. Like, you know, it, like, especially hauling jet fuel. That's one of the highest flammable, most flammable product you can haul. So it's like tanker is not for everyone. But understanding exactly the process beyond tanker and how that everything worked, that was the uh, the part that interested me because I understood how it worked for the um, freight market. You know, general freight, I understand how it worked. But when you're talking about the tanker, you're talking about the raw product, like that was much more interesting to understand who was buying those products. And I remember one of the um, customers we've had, one was uh, there was a, uh, we used to deliver a lot to the military base, right, in Albany, New York. So that was one place that I used. Like I said, I had a, a contract run back and forth from military from Texas to the military base, and and yeah, it was um, upstate New York, correct. But the thing is, is just kind of understand the entire process of being a tanker, uh, a tank driver, and understand the product, how you haul the product, right? How do you load the product? Certain things that you cannot mix. Like, you understand, as you're being loaded, the PPE equipments that you got to have, right? Especially when you're doing um, hazmat, because everything, not everything in tanker is hazmat, but majority of tanker is hazmat, because you do have milk and you got non-hazardous material, but mostly tanker is a lot of hazmat materials and requires a lot of training. So I would suggest that if anyone want to get into the um, tanker, go for it. If you have the mindset for it and you want to understand the business and you want to be patient enough to build the um, customer relationship, because those are different. It's not easy to get those customers. And the pays are a little different, but you really have to know what it is that you're getting yourself into once you get into the tanker world. Because it can right. get real messy. Insurance got is crazy in tanker. Yeah. Got you. So so you were owner operator when you were doing tankers, right? Yes. So yes. so so where did you go for for your customers? Like when you first got started in the tanker in the tanker game, like like where did you go initially? Well, as far as when I first started, you know, when you starting with tanker, you have to work with a company, right? You can't just be like, hey, look, I'm a tanker guy. And it's like, okay, I own my tanker and I'm just going to, no, it's totally different. So that's why I went with the company called Linden Bulk. 
Okay. Linden Bulk. So pretty much what they do is a big tanker company. They do all the wash. They do they, you know, they have the contract with all those energy companies, those fuel plants, you know, those chemical plants. So once I understood who was those customers, right? That's when I started kind of like, okay, how do I go about making my own relationship into the tanker world to where now I don't have to kind of like still deal with a company that has the broker model operation. It was much more like, how do I go directly to the source and directly deliver to the customer? And once I learned that, it was pretty much an open floodgate. Okay, so so you were able to do that eventually, like actually yeah. get connections with the with the actual customers. Yes. Okay, and and so w- where did you take that business? Like, as far as so, did you you stay with Linden Bulk or you moved on and you still do- started doing your own thing? Started doing my own thing, really doing well for myself. Okay. And then again, that's when um, when I when that was happening, that's when I got into the car accident. Okay. And found myself hitting rock bottom, and then right back to Brooklyn again. Okay, so for how long did you do, did you do tankers? I do tankers for two years and a half. Okay, okay, got you. So you did it for two years and a half. All right, cool. So, so that was that. So after you left the tankers, that's when you went back to Brooklyn and started the window cleaning company. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, cool. And that's, that, that's a really interesting story. So, so basically, you, you, you hit rock bottom. You said, look, what, what can I do to get some income right away? And you started window cleaning. Tell, tell me about that transition just... Um, you know, uh, mentally what you went through, man, just, just going, going, going from the truck back to, 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 to wash your windows. You know what I'm saying? Tell me a little bit about that. Man, that was tough, man. That was like, you know, that was one of the roughest moments of my life. Like just understanding, just, it's kind of like just seeing yourself making it out of somewhere, right? Alive. And you're really doing your thing financially. Like I said, man, I was really doing well. Like, right. right. What's and well? What was, what's well? Well, well was financially. Okay. Financially, man, I was taking home five grand a week after expenses, right? Okay. You understand? And at the end of the day, but still I was young, man. I was really, around the time I was, what, 20, 26, 27? Okay. So pretty much I'm still young, you understand? Not understanding exactly, understand the importance of money again. I could say I did a lot of stupid stuff with money, right? But learned my lesson again. But I did have a good habit of saving. And like I said, when I lost that truck, I, I went through my savings about four months. Okay. But- you, you don't realize your saving ain't nothing until you don't have no income coming at all, right? Once it was it, it was just kind of like, oh, man, in four months, my account was dry. But right. no, but that transition, man, it was one of the, I would say it was one of the most difficult time in my life doing that transition because it was just most like, for me, myself, too, like, I had to deal with that. Like, man, you know, what am I doing? It's like, you know what I'm saying? What if this don't work out? Like, you know, like, do, am I really, like, do I really look stupid out here? Like, you know, do I really look like a cricket out there? Like, what is really people saying? Right. But for me, it was just kind of like, I was doing the numbers in my head already. I was like, man, we got to get a hundred store. We got to get 500 store. We got to get a thousand store. Cause once we get a thousand stores, I know the numbers are going to be different. So I didn't look any more on what I look like doing it. It was much more like, okay, what is the end result going to look like? The end result was going to look like for me was once again, my mindset around it was turning into a big franchise. So that's all I cared about. I didn't care about who else was looking at me. I didn't care about what other friends had to say about it anymore. I don't care what my mom's or any family member We'll say, hey, look, man, you shouldn't be out here cleaning the window. You look crazy. To be honest with you, after a while, everyone started supporting me. They was like, man, how the hell did you do that, right? right. So at first, I went into the phase of like, man, I, am I looking crazy out there? So now everyone's saying, man, how did you do it? How did you get the guts, the balls to be out there cleaning windows, you know, to make it happen? But for me, it was just like, the, I'm like a cockroach, man. I'm not giving up, bro. I, right. I, I refuse to. I, I just see, refuse to just die. You know, because the thing is, I mean, it's actually like when I ask that question, I don't even mean that in like a derogatory way. It's like you make that transition transition. So mentally you feel like you're doing like menial labor, but it actually was a dope business model 
because there were customers out there that needed to be served. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And like you said, you were able to grow the business like super fast. Obviously, it was a need that needed to be met. And I think that's important because a lot of people don't see the, the, the diamonds in the rough. You know what I mean? Where, where, whereas you've had this opportunity that you looked at as something that was like, oh, man, I don't want to be washing people's windows. But, but, but you did it. You scaled it. And you were able to build that company that, to how much? $60,000. $60,000 washing windows. And, and it, you started building a team, obviously, right? Yeah, it was three of us. We started hiring other people, but eventually it kind of fell apart because I wasn't really there. Um, I had one good friend that, you know, he was really trying his best. He had a car, like he was the only one because I went back to trucking. Like I okay. said, it was much more like, okay, look, on to the next one. He went and do a clothing line and I had another one, another friend of mine. He started like, you know, recording music and stuff like that. And they're okay. still doing the thing. Shout out to them too, man. So, but the thing is, is that, you know, once... I got that little bit of money. I said, man, I'm going back to trucking. And they were trying to do the best they can, you know, with what they had. And I guess, let's put it this way. I guess the leadership wasn't there. Yeah. And they wasn't passionate about it as much as I was, right? Because gotcha. it was my dream. It was me that wanted it. So they was just there to support me. So I can be mad at them on how everything fell out. But hey, look, look what we got out of it. We understand is that, you know, never let your current circumstances, you understand, determine who you're going to be tomorrow, Right. Because although I was just a dude cleaning windows, who would have said today, I'm a CEO of a tech company that raised over a million dollars from traditional investors and saying, hey, look, you know, in seven, nine months, we built a company that generated over a million dollars in revenue. So once again, I could have given up. I could have said, no, I'm not going to clean windows. But all of that, I wouldn't give it up for nothing because because those experiences make me who I am today. And what's the biggest what, what, what's the biggest lesson you learned starting that business and running that 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 window cleaning business? That, oh, man, what, what I've learned is that, hey, listen, man, and I will share that with every entrepreneur, man. Look, at the end of the day, you have to have that, that belief. Like, that belief system, it belongs to you. That why, the reason why you're doing it, it belongs to you. Like, you understand? Not the world. The world is very brutal. So, like I said, so anyone out there or any entrepreneurs, man, my message I would say to this, man, is whatever it is that you believe in, go for it, regardless of what the outside world looks or thanks, or what they throw at you, because they're going to think something, you crazy, they're going to throw shit at you, right, so you might as well just go ahead, like, if you feel like you're going to go through hell, listen, don't walk through hell, run through hell, and get out of it, <laughs> right, so for me, it was just much like, man, what I've learned, it was much more like, okay, man, when you believe in something, and you have the, you you have what it takes to make it happen, is shut the world out sometime, and just go for it, that no was doubt. the biggest lesson that I've got out of that experience. No doubt. And you definitely probably to knock on a lot of doors, you know what I'm saying? Man. To get those customers and, and, and that probably actually prepared you for doing these pitch competitions and stuff like that. Getting used to the nose, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like all, 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 all those little things kind of prepare you for the now. Exactly. Everything was preparation, man. That's all it was. So, so how did you exit that business? You just, you just guys just kind of separated and just left? Yeah, I just kind of separated and just left. Like I said, he was still running it. But when I got back into trucking and started doing my, I didn't even take no money out of that business anymore. Okay. I kind of let them go ahead and, you know, run it on their own. Because like I said, once again, I had my trucking company started really picking up, really doing good. But they didn't understand anything in trucking. Gotcha. So it was much more like, again, now I'm back in Jersey again. I'm out of there. Like, hey, look, I'm trying to build, 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 build. Okay. But for them, it was just like, okay, how do they keep it, you know? We, you guys to understand a lot of us, we're not business savvy. You understand we come from a community. We don't understand businesses. We don't understand numbers. We don't understand how do we scale a business. So I think for me, it was just a learning experience for all of us. And we all got what it, we were supposed to get out of it. All right, cool. All right, so we're done with, this, with, with the window cleaning business. We jump back into trucking. 
Um, this is when you started actually building your, your your first fleet of trucks, right? Yes. Okay. All right. So talk to me about getting getting into getting into that. Um, starting to build your fleet. Where did you start? Yeah, man. Started getting my fleet, man. Um, so once I had all the drivers, I realized I said, okay, well, I do have the drivers. You understand? And a lot of I had great customers: FedEx, DHL, Better Way Transportation Logistics. So I said, okay, well, how, how'd you how'd you get the customers? Man, you you don't want to believe if I can tell you <laughs> another story, right? Talk so to once. Me. Uh, so same thing, man. It's like, you know, to, to get back to the same hustle mentality, went and knock on the doors with these customers. And the very first thing what I was doing was I was giving them myself as a guarantee. I said, hey, look, I know you have drivers that call out at the last minute when you got important shipments that have to move. I said, listen, whenever that happened, call on me. I'll be that driver if you sign this contract now. I can guarantee you, you never miss a load. Mm. They used to look at me like, are you serious? I said, yes. Mm. And they'll take the contract and never sign it, right? And every last one customer put me to the test, brother. No lie. I would mm. get a call from DHL. Hey, we need a driver at 2 in the morning. One of our drivers just call out. And this is, we're talking about this is midnight. Guess what? I'm out the door on my way to DHL and get the job done. Once I do it the first time, it's an open door. Now, hey, how many drivers can you provide us? Same thing, better way, right? Call me the same way. You say, yeah, you said you came here. You said you promised you can give us drivers, right? I said, yeah. You said, okay, well... Today's the uh, second. It's on the 10th. I'm going to need 10 drivers, but I need someone. To, I need two drivers to show up tomorrow because I have this load that, you know, two drivers called out and no, not two drivers called out. The shipper changed something on them and they still have to find a way to move that load. So he called me and hey, man, guess what, man, me and another driver, man, in less than six hours, we was at the customer location. That's how they became my customer. So for me it was selling myself to the customer first. I understood okay. the operation. I understood right. their pain point, right? Okay. And their pain point is that they can't sometimes retain their own drivers when they hire them. Drivers do call out. Things do happen, right? Drivers have family emergencies. And a lot of time, these trucking companies themselves, they do have a duty, a responsibility to deliver these goods, right, on behalf of their shippers. So for me, it was just like, okay, that's a pain point for them. And they're willing to pay to fix that problem. So once I put myself in their shoe and understood exactly what it was going through and the decision that they need to make in the last minute, like I said, I give them myself as the guarantee. I said, you can count on me. I'll be that driver. And once they did that, it kind of opened up the door and started building a relationship. And that's how I started scaling that company. And those companies doing intros with FedEx, right? So that was another way of building that snowball effect with these companies by being able to provide a great service and not just, you know, being a good driver saying, oh, yeah, I'm good. No, it's understanding that customer and what value do I bring to that customer. Once they understood the value, then they really, we started really doing businesses together. Okay, got you. So now, so we're talking about Mac right now. We're, we're, we're yeah. talking about Mac staffing. All right, so you, you had Mac staffing and you simultaneously were running a fleet as well, right? Yeah. So did you, did you start buying trucks after you started Mac or you, start, you had the trucks first and then you started Mac? Nah, I started buying trucks after I built Mac. Okay. All right, cool. All right, so, yeah. so, so let's get it together. All right, all right, Hustle fam. So what he was just now referring to is Mac staffing. All right. So a lot of you guys are not familiar with the staffing agent with, with, with the staffing industry um, or what they call driver leasing. And this is something that Pierre and I really, really connected with because I also started uh, my first uh, staffing business in 2015 as well. All right. So I understand staffing totally. And I understand it's a, it's, it's, it could be a very lucrative business. However, it's not um, easy to, to necessarily get into. Um, it's very cash intensive. Um, talk about that because we haven't talked about staffing or driver leasing in the show. Talk to me about when you first started the company. First of all, what made you start that company? 
Ah, uh, man. So hopefully I can say this online. Maybe PFG is not going to kill me for it, right? So I remember <laughs> when I was at PFG, right? And one thing was, which was a union shop. And, you know, there was a lot of times the union, the contract, you know, didn't make sense for drivers. So I was always that guy, the outspoken guy. That was where, you know, I would always get to, you know, with drivers and letting them know, like, hey, look, man, like, we don't have to deal with this. We don't have to put up with this. Look, it's about 120 of us. I say about this. I say, look, they're using a company called Action, which is a staffing agency. That's when I started learning more about it, right? I said, they're using this company. They're getting drivers on leasing. And for somehow I've heard that they was paying that company $500 per day for a driver, right? And then and I was telling those guys, I said, well, they're getting their paying that agency $500 per day for a driver. And we only getting about $250, $300 per day. I said, something is not adding up, right? Mm-hmm. But when I did the math, when I really looked into it, I said, okay, well, if they're giving that staffing agency $500, what is the staffing agency paying the drivers out of that money? Did my research again, find that that staffing agency is giving the drivers $200 a day. I said, wait, hold up. This is like highway robbery. I said, wait, hold up. <laughs> they're getting $500 and they're getting the drivers $200 and they're keeping the three. But I started really learning, you know, it was much more to that, right? But I was like, hey, look, you know what? Maybe I should do this business. I know a lot of drivers. I have the ability to talk to companies. Why don't I do it? But that's not, that wasn't even how I even really got into it. I remember telling all the drivers, let's make it happen. Every driver was afraid. I said, hey, look, man, let's walk away from here. We don't have to be a driver. I said about 100 of us, we walk away, start a staffing agency. And this is all of us drivers. We're going to own it. I said, then we're going to start leasing ourselves to trucking companies, right? And get paid $500. I said, you do the math, 100 something of us getting 500 per day. I said, just imagine how quick we can scale this. And then eventually we can spend it to turn and running our own operations. But the drivers didn't get it, right? Now, how I got into the staffing world was when I was at Linden, right? When I was driving a tanker. You remember? So when I got into tanker, there was a dispatcher at Linden that wanted to build a staffing agency, right? Okay. okay. So he went in and built a staffing agency mm. while I was hurt, right? Remember when I was, when I got into the accident? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Built a staffing agency while I was hurt. So I called him. I said, yo, man, what's up? He's like, yeah, man, I, I launched it. I just did my first million dollars. I said, what? <laughs> I said, yo, I said, he was just talking about this. I said, okay, right. well, how do I get in? I said, hey, look, I got a little bit of cash left, right? Let me put in like, you know, $20,000 in. He gave me the run around, run around, never let me come in. So now as I'm coming out, out of um, lending bulk, you know, just really still trying to find things to do, like you understand. And I've realized that he's running his company, but he needed some help. So he called me. He said, hey, look, man, you got the thing with the drivers. He said, I know you're doing your own thing as well, but can you help me recruit drivers? So I said, okay, man, no problem. I'll come in. I'll do it off a of GP. I didn't even charge him, right? I said, I'll just be the guy. I'll come in, you know, twice, three times a week and do recruiting because I still have to run my truck. So I go in there, do recruiting for him. It was one driver, man, that really made me start that staffing company, bro. That one driver, I spoke to him. He's like, yeah, man. He's like, Pierre, he's like, you sound like you know a lot, man. He's like, he's like, let me ask you this. Is, is this staffing agency yours? I said, no, nah, it's not mine. It's a friend of mine. He's running it. And, you know, he's just asking me to kind of, you know, help him build it and recruit drivers. He's like, all right, man. He's like, let me be honest with you. He said, look, I own a staffing agency myself, right? Right. I'll give you 50%. I'll put mm. you in the LLC. Come and mm. run it with me. I was like, oh, I sound no. I think about it, right? He, you know, that driver call every day, and right. I, I was like, well, maybe I should just do it. But I was like, you know what? What if what to tell me I go do it with this guy? I don't know him from a hole in the world. I said I go build this business with him. 
I said, what's to say he's not going to take this money and run in Jamaica or anywhere else, right? I'm, right. Saying, I'm just thinking to myself. But after everything happened, once it, that idea was embedded in my head. So once I got that money, I was like, you know what? I'm going to launch that staffing agency. So that's how I launched it. That driver really kind of like, he kept pushing me, pushing me. He's like, yo, man, you got it, man. It's like, you know, you know this shit like, like the back of your hand. Like, that's the type of help that I need. The same thing as my friend saw early on. He's like, look, man. He's like, you're the only driver that I know that can speak to customers, that can speak to drivers. It's like, just come in and help me run it. So after that, I was like, you know what? Instead of me just trying to go there and help people do this and help people do that, I said, let me just go ahead and launch it, man. From there, it took off. That's dope. All right, so so this is this is my I, I I love this industry. So you know I got to dive a little bit deeper yes. into it. All right, so um, you you brought this opportunity, which was a genius opportunity that you actually brought to these drivers, right? But they just yep. couldn't see the big picture because they didn't understand the way this money was being transferred. What yep. a lot of people don't understand, especially with a lot of these um, big companies and these smaller accounts that they have, is a, a huge majority of their driver force are not their actual drivers, right? For, for, for multiple reasons. Number one, they, they, there's a driver shortage, right? Num- number two, um, you know, driver retention. You can't hold on to the drivers. You know, they're, they're always going to other companies because if you have a clean license, you could pretty much write your ticket anywhere, right? Yep. And number, number three, the expenses that are involved in, in, in actually employing drivers, right? From, from the onboarding expenses um, that you're going to incur, um, you know, to actual, um, the insurance workers comp, hmm. all, all these, all these different expenses. So a lot of times these companies outsource their drivers. So you have a, a, a large portion of the workforce that don't even work for the company. And, yep. um, so, so you basically saw that and you're like, man, we're, we're here all working for PFG and hmm. at, uh, all these drivers that come here, they don't even work for us. So we, there's an opportunity here, guys. We might as well just separate ourselves, create our own company take the power in our hands yep. and, 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 and basically charge them as a company, but nobody could see that picture. Why do you think nobody saw that? Um, I think comfort zone, right? People, a lot of people get comfortable and you got to understand some time risk, right? When you think about like, you're going out and do something on your own, it comes with a lot of risk, which I can understand. You know, people have mortgages, people have college, you know, probably kids that they have to pay college, they have rent, they have bills. So I understand the fear of taking that risk because they don't know what it was going to happen, you know, if they did do that, you know. But unfortunately, what happened was when I took the leap of faith myself and when it did it, 90% of my workforce became those drivers. Mm. That was the crazy part. It was you, like, you, man, you, had the, you, had, you had the drivers already. They were right there. Yeah, no, the, the same drivers that I was talking to at that They company, end up working for you. They end up coming working for me. And it was much more like, and then after that, even, uh, even that created kind of like, you know, some, some bad blood because, you know, it, it's hard sometimes. You know, when people see you come from the same place as them, and it's hard to accept the fact that now you at that level, you cut in their check. But for me, I never looked at myself as a boss. I never looked at myself as a CEO with these drivers because I was always on the road with them driving. I was never that guy sitting behind a desk calling the shots. Like, right. you know, I'd be doing a load myself. And that's one thing the drivers really appreciated about me and my operation is that, oh, you want to play games? You can't do it? I'll show you this. I'll get I on do it myself. myself. <laughs> exactly. Don't worry about it. As a matter of fact, you know what? Take a week off. I right, but right. you understand. But guess what? But I understand drivers' world. Like you understand, we there's a lot that we have to deal with. But let's not forget, man. We have a lot of bad actors and drivers as well. And you know, we need to talk about that as well. There's mm. bad actors everywhere in the space. But we understand sometimes some drivers, man. If you really understand that we are the professional drivers, right? If we really start being conscious about who we are, the type of service that we bring, and start treating ourselves as a service, man. 
we have the power to change everything that's happening in trucking today. But I think drivers aren't just educated enough to understand the value that they bring to the table to say, hey, look, man, how can we mobilize this? How can we all get together as truckers and understand that we are very valuable to this space? And we're not just going to sit there and just put up with anything. But at the same token, with us drivers, how do we be more customer focused, right? How do we be more polite with our shippers? I understand sometimes you go in and people talk to you like shit. But once again, you're the professional driver. I'm holding you accountable to always be professional, to always educate the other people that don't know, because they all assume that our job is easy, but it's really not. But I'm very, like I said, I show a lot of empathy for truckers, but a lot of times, you know, it's like sometimes us ourselves, man, we, we, we need to stop drinking the Kool-Aid. Mm, no doubt. So when you started the company, you were the owner and you were the first driver. Yep. Always. All right. Dope. So when, when you first got started, how did you know what it, what it even took to start the company? Like as far as insurance, where, where'd you, what, what kind of research did you do? How'd you get that information? So, yeah, so when I was doing the um, call for, for that guy, like, you know, I said, helping him start a staffing agency, I mean, helping him run it, you know, I was really picking up on a lot of details, like, you know, on the stuff that's needed and stuff like that. So what I did first was I went to, uh, I went to a first company, right? And I told them, I, well, I knew somebody in there, not exactly who I needed to sign a contract, but I went to a dispatcher and I asked the dispatcher, which is, again, the same company that was at PFG, right? I went, asked the dispatcher, I said, look, if you could find me what that action contract looked like. Right. That's all I need. Like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I'm on game. And to be honest with you, that's exactly how I got it, man. I started really snooping around. I started reaching out to the old contacts that I had at PFG that still work in accounting. And I said, hey, look, man, can you get me certain information? And that really kind of where I kind of got all the information that I needed to kind of get my company going. Bro, that's how we all get in the game, bro. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we all get in the game. Copy that's and paste. You know what I'm saying? We like, hold on. What's, what's that contract look like? Okay. What's that? It's, it's simple. Why reinvent the wheel? You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. But so, then again, learn the, the, the hardest lesson on that, building the staffing agency, was that workers' comp. Man, that workers' comp is a monster. It's and, a monster. And, it's a beast. You need to be educated on it. I know we're talking about staffing agencies, and your listeners are probably like, oh, man, maybe I should go do this. Yeah. Before you go into this, make sure you educate yourself on workers' comp because that's another headache. For sure. So, so understand when you run a, a staffing agency, right, the drivers are your employees, right? So, so they're working for these companies that you, that, you sub, that you subcontract them out to, but they're still your responsibility, right? So that means you have to be responsible for onboarding. You have to be responsible for verifications of employments, drug testing, um, you have to keep their DQ files, yep. right? Th- th- this is all your responsibility. So it's not as easy as it sounds to where you're just the middleman and you're just passing along drivers and you just collect a fat check. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're running a company just minus the assets of the, the actual equipment. Yep. You know what I mean? So, so when you got started, how, how much money did you get started with? Like, how, like to, to, to be to, honest you, uh, I think I started, um, I started with just, I think it was like just about $10,000. Okay. Right. $10,000. And I was even running out of money because by then it was like to even get the contract, right. To get my attorney. Cause another contract I needed was the agreement between me and the drivers. I right. I couldn't get my hand on that. Right. Right. Really, like, you know what? Now, now, now did you do, did you do employees or 1099? I did. I went 1099 route. Right. Okay. 1099 route. And for me, the reason I think, um, and also, you know, between, and that's another thing between W2s and 1099 is yep. a very thin line. Right. Yep. Yep. Ex- explain line. that. So people understand that the W2 1099 thing. 
Yeah, so the W-2 is much more like, so that's like more control, right? When somebody's W-2, that means you're telling that person when to go to work, what time they have to show up to work. You're providing them the tools to do the job. You understand? Um, you're providing the training for them to do the job. So that person is technically your employee, right? And then you have the independent contractor, which is the 1099 driver, is that you don't tell them when to go to work or whom to go to work for. You understand? And you don't give them the equipment, like in a sense, to get the job done. And you don't terminate that driver if you say, no, I don't want to do it. Because right. the independent contractor, you can say, well, you're fired. Because at the end of the day, it still had to be by his own choice if you want to do the job. So even with that, it's still, like I said, the, the thin line is very, the line is very thin. And you have to understand. So for us, how we, as we understood it, we never forced dispatch none of our drivers. We never said, hey, look, you have to go work for this customer. So what we did was we created a pool. So when the customer put in a request, the drivers will see the request in the start time and they will accept it on themselves. So we wasn't mm. telling the drivers where to go, who to work for, who to, you understand, who to accept uh. jobs. So that's how we kind of find a way to um, get through. The Around that. To so, so, so they actually had X, they had visibility on, at, at like to the work that was being provided, that the work was yes. out there. They could Correct. actually see it themselves and they could accept the work and or reject the work. Reject the work. So, so that's the thing, but you cannot fire them. If right. The work. For, for rejecting the work. Exactly. Got you. So, okay. So when it came to work comp, at the end of the year, when you had that audit, <laughs> right now, okay. Cause here's the thing, right? With workers comp, you can do as much, you can do anything you want to do to try to get around it. <laughs> but somebody got to pay the piper, right? So at the end of the day, regardless of what you do to try to work within the lines of what the definitions are, because like you said, they give you these definitions of an employee and, and an independent contractor. However, when it comes to the bottom line, who's paying? Who's Somebody paying? has to pay, Yep. right? So even though you did that, you had these 1099 guys, they're paying, and you know, people know independent contractors, they pay their own taxes. You don't have those expenses that, you know, you don't have to take out taxes or nothing from them. You just give them their full check, their full settlement, and they go, they take everything themselves, right? When it came to the end of the year, what happened? Man, so now that's that's another question, right? Once again, not being educated, right? You have to learn the hallway, right? Yep. So here I am thinking like, man, we racking and dope. We killing it, right? <laughs> <laughs> My little worker smart. Wait, when you first get the, you know, when you first get the workers' comp policy, you tell them exactly how much you estimate you're going to make. Yep. So, you know, my little workers' comp payments was like, you know, 5000 Wait. No, it wasn't even that. It was like, I think it was like a thousand dollars a month. Yep. A month. Yeah. So I'm yep. like, man, got this thing on lock, baby. You all, you all good. You know, workers' stuff is paid. I'm thinking this is it. And I get audit. I'm like, wait, what you mean? Audit. I'm like, I'm thinking like, once again, I'm sorry for sound crazy. But once again, you don't know. I'm like, audit. I'm like, wait, are you talking about IRS audit? And you know, if you don't know anything in business, once you hear audit, you automatically go into panic mode. Right. You thinking like, man, did I do something wrong? Right. So, so now you want to be as open as you can to show that I didn't do anything wrong. Like, what's, what's right. happening here? So when they come for the audit, guy was like, okay, yeah, you estimated. I think you same same similar story happened to you. Yep. Like, you estimated that, you know, you was going to do about 50000 for the year. But we talk about $1.2 million in revenue. And by the time we did the audit, you understand, with all the drivers, don't mind you, certain information I didn't have to give, Right. Yep. Right. And once again, not me knowing, here I am, open the entire books like, hey, here it is. Like, oh, yeah, man, great business. You're doing good. I'm thinking the guy's cheering me on. 
Bro, I received a freaking bill in the mail. We talking about, oh, Lord, almost $200,000 bill. I said, Jesus, take the will. We talking about hundreds. Yo, bro, my bill was $192,000. Bro, this is so funny. It's like when I talk to you, it's like looking in the mirror, bro. It's like looking in the mirror. Because what Pete, okay, so, 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 so for, pe- for people to understand, when you when when you when you first start a a, a a staffing company, right, and you have these drivers, when you go to workers' comp, they ask you to project your income, mm-hmm. right? So they ask you to project your income. So basically, what are you? So based on that projected income is going to be what you pay, yep. right? That's going to be what your down payment is. And when you first start a business, uh, especially in Jersey, they put you in what they call the uh, the state plan. Right. So the state plan is where they add a percentage on because of the risk, because workers comp, the risk is so huge because there's so much injuries, fatalities and so forth in in, in drivers and truckmen. That's the actual what they call truckmen that you have a a, a high, um, a high uh, uh, workers comp rate. Right. So you have to project this number. So obviously you're going to project the lowest number possible because you don't want to pay. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I did the same thing. So we project, we project this number of like, maybe like we, we base it on like four drivers. If the four drivers are working 40 hours a week, yep. they're making this much. Ah, we'll probably do about 200,000. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. you pay your down payment based on that $200,000 projection. And then they bill you throughout the rest of the year, a broken down um, uh, monthly rate, mm-hmm. right? To basically pay the rest. So you get hold to that whole um, that whole number, right? So let's say it's forty thousand. You got to pay twenty thousand up front, and then you're gonna pay pay twenty thousand over the rest of the over the rest of the year, right? But what the thing is that we're talking about right now is you don't realize if you grow, <laughs> if if you grow, like Ooh. we we both had the situation to where we grew way way more than that. You said you grew to what? How many drivers? Man, what had what? Well, around that time, I think I had about I had up to seventy-two something drivers on the this first year. First year, yeah. Okay, so first year I grew to about 40, 50 drivers working full time. Man, right? So, man, revenue, revenue, not no, not now. I'm I'm lying. Not 40, 50 working full time. Now it's probably year two or year three. Yeah, probably about twenty years, twenty to twenty-five or so full time. And then you know you have your. Uh, your fair weather drivers that'll do a load for you every now and again. Every now and those again, guys, exactly. right? Yep. So, so either way, we did 1.2 million in 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 in, in revenue and in gross revenue. Yeah. So the way workers comp works is it's um uh, uh for every hundred dollars worth of payroll, you have to pay nineteen dollars. Nineteen dollars for every. <laughs> Hundred dollars worth of payroll. Yep. Right. So if you're not taking that into consideration and you're not putting that money away, what happens, Pierre? Big bill at the end of the year, <laughs> man. <laughs> That's a big bill at the end of the year. Just think about it, right? It's just like you just break it down, right? Nineteen dollars per hundred dollars, right? And we have drivers making seventeen, eighteen hundred, two thousand dollars per week. And you're talking about 70-something drivers. Do that math. Man, when I saw that bill, man, I caught a heart attack, man. It was like, man, how do I pay this? Like, you know, right. how do I get away from this? It was, it, it's, a, it's a big pain. To be honest with you, I still owe about $20,000 on that bill. Bro, you owe pay. workers college forever. <laughs> you owe, you'll owe them forever, man. They don't play. The only way you won't owe them is if, you know, is if you're not growing. If you're not growing, that's it. <laughs> 
That's you know it. what I'm saying? It, it's, it's set up. It's, it's almost like a setup because what they have when you come in, they have what they call the experience mod, right? Yep. So, so basically when you first start, you, you have an experience mod, which is basically an algorithm of how many drivers you have, mm-hmm. right? And, and um, with um, how many accidents or injuries you have yep. and how, how much money you make. So they do this algorithm to, to basically rate you. So right. if, you have, if you have like 10 drivers and you have like one accident, your oh. experience mod is terrible, oh. right? Be- because that's like 10% of your driver force. Yeah. So you're, you're considered a huge risk. If you have 100 drivers and you have one accident, you have a better experience mod, right? So the thing is, the key is to get to that three-year point to where you've been operating and, you're exper- and, and you have the, the least amount of accidents or injuries to where now they can move you into a better plan and lower your, your, your comp rate. Correct. And you buy in. That's if you get lucky, you get at least the 12%. Right, you get the twelve over the fourteen percent. So that is a, another part. But there's another tricky part too that you can get the twelve percent, but it depends on how you do it. Right? Is mm-hmm. we can't talk that over here. But, but <laughs> <laughs> there, there's some tips there's, and tricks. There, there, there's some tips and tricks that you know some attorneys, some um, people in the field also show us as well that you can get your workers comp. But it was just still Jersey. It was just kind of like you know that audit man. It's like. You just can't get over it, man. After a while, we just went the um. What's the other way? I um, went the uh, PEO. PEO route, man. That's that's the best, most simplest form that you can go about doing that to get for your workers' comp, man. Right, and PEO is like a pay-as-you-go type of program. So when you when you first established your comp, did you get it in diff- in different states, or did you just get it in Jersey first? Yeah, I just started getting it in Jersey first because that was the only state that was operating. But okay, in Jersey now. Now being that we in Baltimore, Philly, you know, um, Atlanta. I think now we've seen that Jer- Jersey's the highest rate. It what? is, bro. To a point where I feel like I don't even want to do business in Jersey anymore because they're really chipping into my profit margin. It's, it's, it's crazy in Jersey. And that's the thing, like, all over. And, and, and the thing with workers' comp is, depending on where you're at, like, like a, 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 a smart insurance agent will tell you to spread your workers' comp and throughout the different states. Mm-hmm. Because, like you said, the rates are different. And also, if your employee actually gets hurt, in another state, like let's say you're based out of Jersey, but you got a driver picking up in Connecticut or wherever mm-hmm. the case may be. If they get hurt or they get injured there, that's where the comp should be coming from because that's the state where they got hurt. Yep. So what they have to do then is they have to defer back to Jersey and then Jersey has to cover the comp. But if Jersey doesn't cover the comp because they got hurt in Connecticut, now you got a little bit of a problem and you got to go into litigation and it becomes a, a, a big issue. It's a nightmare. So you know what I'm saying? So, so, so I think the moral of the story with this guys is staffing is a really dope business model, but you have to educate yourself on it. Absolutely. Because it's not, it's, it's not as easy as it looks. Nope. You know what I mean? People look at it and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Drivers, ship carriers, I just put them together and you, you make your little, you make your little 10, $15 off of every drop. It don't work like that. It don't work that way, man. Because there's a lot of costs that go into it, and if you don't, and if you don't build your rates properly, you're gonna end up you you're, you're gonna, gonna be paying them to take the loans. Absolutely, you're gonna you're gonna run negative. You're running a negative business. Absolutely. You, if, you don't, if you don't know the exact rates, and by the time you add that workers' comp, you're gonna look at it like, man, you just say the whole year I, I ran a negative business, like literally. If you don't yeah. know numbers, and, and and that's another thing that people don't know is it's such a cutthroat business, huh. right, man. I mean, it's so cutthroat. Yes. With, with, there's a lot of agencies that are out there just trying to get their drivers in, and they will basically they'll, 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 these, they'll lower these rates 
And yep. now you have it to where you can't even make any money. So the money you're making could be, it could be extremely slim margins. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So you see, that's the thing for me. That was the best. That's, that's the beautiful thing for me was going through that experience, right? What allowed me to see was I truly understood driver behavior, right? So, and this is what we talk about all the time when we talk about transportation logistics, trucking companies, you know, or shippers, like they'll spend millions of dollars buying new truck, new trailers, remodeling their um, warehouses, like, you know, training staff, but nobody invests money in understanding their driver behavior. And mm. I think building my staffing agency, that's what it did for me. That's how I start understanding driver behavior. What makes a driver tick? You understand? What makes a driver stay? What makes a driver leave? And I think this is exactly what fleeting is solving is we understand that problem and we understand how to communicate with drivers. And I think with a lot of trucking companies will make that investment and understanding their driver behaviors as you're supposed to understand freight and consumer behaviors, they have a much more um, results or success with their drivers. And I think that's what we want to do to the industry. We want to bring that educational piece where we teach these motor carriers how to deal with drivers, because believe it or not, man, the drivers, yes, they also have a lot to deal with themselves. And you just have to know how to deal with these drivers and know how to show empathy. But some of them are bad actors. But for us, is we want to show trucking companies how to deal with that because the driver behavior is a big thing. And no one wants to spend time on that. Yeah, nah, 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 for sure, man. That that is you definitely learned about driver behavior. That's that's yeah. for sure. And and I mean the drivers are the lifeline of your business, man. Yep. And if you could if you could keep your drivers happy, you'll be successful. You know what I mean? Absolutely. If you keep your drivers happy, your costs low, and 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 you, you, you could have a successful in any type of in any business in, in transportation, you know what I mean? Yep. They, they, they're gonna be the lifeline. All right, so um you said so you what as you were um you, you were running Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you said you started acquiring some trucks too. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, what made you, what made you, uh, diversify and get into actually buying more trucks when you had the, the, the staffing agency already running and there was a success. What made you do that? You're right. You know what I'm saying? It was just, I think it's also being ambitious and, um, want to do things and kind of like always have to dream of owning the fleets of truck and knowing that, okay, well now I understand the driver behavior. I said, so if I have the driver behavior and I have the drivers to a T, then I could kind of run off a more efficient operation where I don't have to deal with what the existing carriers deal with. So that's mm. what I started doing. So went into Ryder, leased my first three trucks, right? Had a horrible experience with them. I said, man, never again. I said, y'all go ahead, come take those three, take it back. Went in and financed three more trucks and then started building the credit and we started really opening up. Then before you know it, man, we had about 16 trucks. Mm. Kind of like, you know, money. some of them was bought um, cash and some of them, was, um, majority of them was financed. Got you. What, what, what was a bad experience with Ryder? What happened? Man, Ryder, man, the thing with Ryder was, um, what did they do? Okay, so we were supposed to be on a payment plan with Ryder, right? Okay. As you know, when you lease the truck. So I took three trucks from Ryder. I started running an Amazon operation, right, with Ryder, just testing it out. And as I'm seeing, I'm like, okay, things is picking up, it's picking up. So now out of the three trucks that I leased with Ryder, I needed an additional 11 trucks, right? Mm. So I rented them. So I didn't okay. want to do a lease with 11 trucks. So I was renting 11 trucks from Ryder. Okay. So you can imagine what that bill looked like every yeah. two weeks. Ryder didn't even want to let me pay. Since I was a new business, I didn't have the business credit. They didn't even let me pay in 30 days. They wanted me to pay every 15 days. Mm. Right? And we're talking about $21,000, dollars every 15 days, right? Right, right. So what Ryder did, we were supposed to go on to um, ACH, where they're supposed to just kind of directly take the money out of my account. right. So the first three months, I'm thinking writers taking their money out, but they're not, right? <laughs> so writer called me and is like, hey, man, 
you haven't made any payments. You owe about $90,000. If you don't make this payments, man, we're going to shut this. I'm like, what? What do you mean? So you tell me this all the time. But this is my fault, again, not paying attention to my books and my numbers and my unit economics. And that's the thing. And I'm like, wait, so I'm seeing money in my account. I'm like, shit, that's my money. Like, so when right are talking about, dude, you owe $90,000 you haven't paid. I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? I thought you guys was taking this money out of my account every two weeks. It's like, now we haven't taken it out. So I go to writer, make the payments, 90000 I said, look, man, don't ever let this happen again. Right. Said, this happened like, that's your problem. Right. Go back again, running, running. I remember what, in August, I was about to go on vacation. The day before I go, no, the, the day of my vacation, writer called me back again with the same issue. This time, $65,000. I said, yo, how can y'all let this happen? Right. Said, Wait, 65 grand? I said, okay, no problem. Made the payment. Right? The year going, the year going, the whole rest of the year going. Man, right? It came back talking about, y'all, again, the same thing happened. I said, look, that's your problem. Y'all gonna figure, figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what I have now, I said, I'm already in the process of buying trailers. I said, I already used the money to buy the trailers. I said, I can't pay you right about it. I don't have it. Like, right. like oh, well, I said, no, we agreed for you guys to do it on ACH. Like, you know, he was like, well, you should have checked your account when you see we didn't take it. I said, dude, I'm not where you think I'm looking at you taking my money. I right. said, I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at Amazon paying me. That's what right. I'm worried. I'm worried I'm money coming in, not who I have to pay. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, we had to get those trucks and they came and got them. It was about 11 of them. I said, hey, you be my guest. I had some money. Like I said, I, that's when I really got into financing my own trucks. Then went directly to Daimler and started financing my truck directly with them. Got you. What, what were you hauling when you, when you started building your fleet? Well, when I first started, I started off at Amazon, and I realized that Amazon. was suicidal. That was suicidal, man. Once mm. I really running the fleet, see, once again, that was another learning curve for me again, right? Running the staffing, learned it, mastered it. Now I'm running the fleet. Once again, there's a lot of things that I don't know about running a fleet. Like, in this thing, unit economics is very important. Understand that truck, tool, um, tolls, fuel, maintenance, insurance, truck payment, like, you understand, what is the return each truck supposed to bring? When you look at it, a margin for a trucking company is very slim to none, bro. Trucking right. companies are operating at about a 5% margin, which is nothing. Most right. companies operate about a 10, 15. Trucking companies, like, 3 to 5 to 7% is the max a trucking company is operating. So those margins are very slim. But me not understanding these things, it was just kind of like, you know, you're spinning your wheels. Like, you see money coming in, but you're not keeping much money because, once again, I didn't understand the rates, right? Didn't understand exactly how do I get to the, the best, you understand, um, shippers. But guess what? I remember, again, when I was an owner-operator for Tanker, I said, oh, this is what I need to do. I just need to take the same approach now because now I'm running a fleet of trucks. So Amazon was the first company that I was running with, right? I was doing, man, seven days a week. You can't decline any loads for Amazon. If, if they tender you 100 loads for the week, you may have... 20 good loads and 80 horrible loads. And I'm talking, bro, when I'm talking about horrible, I'm talking about horrible. Like, think about a load leaving Jersey, going to Connecticut, or going to Massachusetts for $600. And you mm. talk about coming from Jersey, the Washington, the George Washington Bridge alone is $110. The Turnpike alone is 50 something dollars. So when Amazon is giving you a load to Massachusetts for $600, and you put in another $300, $200 fuel on that truck, and you still have to pay that driver. Dude, I was only making $20 at the end of the day. It didn't add up at all. Crazy. So that's when I said, okay, you know what? This is what we're going to do. We're going to go directly and start knocking on shipper doors. 
So I went again and took another course, but this time I took a broker course in Texas. I went and took an exact broker course. The supply chain one that I took at Wagner was much more high level, but this time I went into like real broker course. Like I was going to be a broker, but I never, I never opened a brokerage firm, but I was like, okay, I need to know exactly what these guys know. I need to know exactly what it is these brokers are doing. So when I went to broker school and one thing I've learned is that broker told me straight up, and this is something that will break a lot of drivers heart. They literally teach brokers that the drivers are not your friend. Mm. They teach you that. So they drill that. They was drilling that in my head in broker school. And the guy was like, Pierre, listen, first, I'm going to need you to stop thinking like a driver. And I need you to start thinking like a broker. I'm like, wait, I said, there's no way in hell I can wrap my head around this. You want me to think like a broker, right? Because I'm here now, but I'm the same driver that been on the road that been affected by this whole entire process. But right. you told me to stop thinking like a driver. That's why I never opened up a, a, a brokerage firm. But what I did, I took the knowledge and took the skill and went directly to shippers, man, knocking on the door with shippers and building direct shipper relationship. So my operation was based on direct shippers and didn't really barely took loads from a broker. If I was taking a load from a broker, that was maybe if my shipper had something going, going somewhere that they didn't have nothing coming back, then I'll use a broker to get a backhaul. But I'll never use a broker to run my full operation. That's suicidal. Went mm. to the shippers. Got you. So you were able to eventually transition all your trucks out of Amazon and just have direct contacts with shippers. That's it. Were you able to land any, any contracts that were like steady? Oh, yeah, man. I had, man, one of my biggest contracts was um, ShopRite. ShopRite, okay. ShopRite was the biggest contract. Like, you understand, for, for them as a shipper, it was what, getting you know, $100 per hour with ShopRite. You okay. And that was, you know, I really kept all my truck moving. And then once I realized that, and they put me into a contact, you know, with their produce companies. You know what I'm mean? saying? That I was having problem moving some stuff. Then I really kind of like my fleet was running reefer and drive van. Just once again, using that network of getting other people to make introduction. Like, hey, look, any shippers you know in the area that may be having issues. And then where I was at in Linden, New Jersey, as you know, Linden, Jersey's full of shippers. So you get that's, on the turnpike. You, you get on the turnpike alone. Every exit, you can Bro. find 10, 15 shippers to go in. So out many there. shippers. So you know many. Yes. So that's exactly what I was doing. Just like just going to turnpike, take any exit. And just go knock on doors. Like, hey, look, whatever you need to ship, I can move them for you. I got access to 20-something drivers. We can do X, Y, and Z. I had one customer that, um, what was the name of that shipper? Another one, um, one of my biggest shippers too, man, we was doing um, with uh, Home Depot. So okay. that was like, damn, well, I can't forget her. Damn, I forgot her name, man. <laughs> man, that was, that was, to be honest with you, that, was, that became about 95% of my business. I didn't okay. have to look for no other shipper. Okay. Literally, there was right around a corner from my office in Linden. Mm. So was, okay, my truck didn't even have to be parked in my yard anymore. I left my truck parked in their yard. Got you. Got you. That's when it became a lot more smoother and kind of running your operation. And that's what I want to educate drivers on. And like, man, when you becoming an owner operator, like, don't get too wrapped up around that broker world because it's suicidal. Got you. All right. So, so where, where did you build that fleet to? What were your own personal assets and like how many owner operators did you have? Just, just to just kind of 10 owner that. operators, 10 owner operators and 16 trucks. Okay. That's about 26, a fleet of 26 trucks. Okay. Damn. And you're, and you're, and you're doing that and running a staffing, and a staffing company. Yep. Bro. How the hell did you do that, man? That's crazy. Bro, I quit the burnout. Like eventually, like I like said. Like you, you, I, di- you didn't sleep. I know you didn't sleep. Oh my God, bro. You couldn't sleep, man. That's one thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, in staffing alone, oh my God. 
one, two, three in the morning. Where's my driver? Where emails? Like how, how you just gotta like not only that, but not only that, also thinking that every night you have over 80 drivers on the road thinking yes. about anything yes. Bro, I'll never yo, this is what you look, man. I'm 36. You saw all the gray hairs I got in my head. That's because of trucking, man. Like I said, it's really not easy to know you have 80 something drivers on the road. Every minute your phone is ringing, and every time that phone rings, you just hope that it's not that call. You yeah. ain't lying, bro. That is it. That's the that that's the most dreaded call. You see that you see that name? Like you you know when you see that one driver that don't really call you, and you're yes. like, oh man, what is he calling man, me for? What is this? <laughs> so yeah, man, that was draining. <laughs> That, 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 I mean, I mean, I, I can't even really imagine. I'm just thinking about, how, and and you said like you were doing all this on your own. Like when 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 did you start? Like did you ever start building a team with with with, with the couple? Well, eventually I did hire one assistant, which was my ex-wife. That was the funny part. My ex-wife ended up coming on board and helping me, and she did a hell of a job. And until to this day, she's still part of our team. Like you know, okay, because she, she realized she like, man, this is funny because her passion for it as well was she realized that. We got divorced because I was a trucker, always on the road, never have time for my family. And now she realized that I'm building this company to prevent truckers from going through the same thing as far as like not having time for their family. And right. she's looking at it like, okay, well, if there's anything I can do for the woman, you know, woman out there that are married <laughs> to truck drivers, maybe this is my way of helping them because I felt the pain as well being at home alone all right. these times and not having, you know, you at home. So kind of like she's a big part of my team, man. She knows the pain and she's really kind of helped, you know, all these truckers and giving them a little bit uh, more better quality of life. So she, she's a great team player. Wow. That's dope. All right. Cool. So let's get to fleeting now. Let's oh, talk man. fleeting. All <laughs> right. We, we, we done built the story up, man. This is, this is crazy. All right. So now you get to the point to where you have this staffing company, Matt. Um, you, you, you have your fleet of trucks. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You've developed these relationships with direct shippers. Um, everything's running smooth and you, you, you look and you realize what, what, tell me about the process of you transitioning into fleeting. Yeah, man. So from there, like, you know, my son was born with down syndrome, as I was um, was explaining to you earlier, I was catching a burnout from running these two businesses. It's like, you know, not having that team. And, you know, once things really started kind of like going South, one thing I realized, I said, you know what, I really knew, I really do need a team. Like I need a group of people behind me. Like that's when I really started praying. I said, God, when can I find a group of individuals, a group of entrepreneurs that understand trucking, but that want to take it to the next level? Who is these entrepreneurs? To be honest with you, they're no regular truck drivers. Those are the drivers that we see every day. They, they have the spirit, but they just don't have that home, right? How do they get into that community? How do we empower them to become, you know, more entrepreneurial set-minded? So that's when I really started thinking about the fleeting idea. Although, yes, what we do is connect drivers to trucking companies. But there's a bigger play beyond fleeting, right? It's empowering the smaller guys, the, you know, the guys that own one truck. How do we show that guy to own 15 trucks, you understand? Or the guys that own three trucks. How do we maximize that guy's asset and find them better insurance rate or give them access to better drivers to kind of improve their bottom line? So when I started thinking about it in that sense, I realized, like, man, okay, this mission here is going to need a big team to build. You know, I know exactly what I've went through myself building those other two companies by myself. And I said, you know, I would never do it again. I said, the next venture that I'm going into, I said, we need to have a team. And from when I was telling you from when we got, I got hurt, came out the hospital that kind of gave me the, the, the opportunity to go into full transition into fleeting to what fleeting is today. Okay. So, I mean, you're, you're making a transition into tech, 
now. Yes. Right. Tech. This yep. is something that you, you don't have any background in tech, really, right? Nothing. Okay. So, I mean, I mean, that's not like uh, you you weren't nervous, you weren't scared. Like, yo, what am I gonna do? Like, I'm just trying to build this app. Like, like what was like? Just give give me an idea of the things you were thinking about when you're trying to transition into the tech world because that's not transportation. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So that's another thing, right? Again, just kind of like going from trucking into going into the tech world. It was a lot that I had to learn. Like it's to- it's a totally different ball game. It's not the same thing as building any businesses. When you're in the tech world, there's so much research that you need to do. There's so much that you need to know, especially if you're in the process of raising capital, right? To build that venture. So for me, it was going to these pitch competitions and seeing exactly, you know, how CEOs or founders pitch their companies to investors and then investors will invest. And I'm talking about billions of dollars are being invested into these ideas every year. But too often, they don't get invested into people that look like us, right? So for me, it was like, okay, well, I see companies like Uber Freight, companies like Convoy, right? Convoy, company went, you know, they went to an accelerator, they raised some seed money, and now Convoy just got value at a billion-dollar company, right? Company that came out in 2015. Mm. They just got value at $2 billion. So I'm saying it's like, okay, I'm seeing all these companies, how investors are pushing capitals beyond them. It was for me, it was like, okay, well, how do I build a tech company, right? I didn't know nothing that I need. All I knew was trucking. But the more I started going to the pitch competition, the more I started speaking to investors, the more I was getting the no's, like, oh, no, nah, this is not going to work. Oh, the market is this. Um, you don't have a team. You don't have a technical team. You don't have a, a, a CEO, like all these things. So everything they told me that I didn't have, I went back to understand, okay, what is a CTO? Like, that's a, like I said, there's so much, man. Like we, we could spend a whole day talking about that. But for me, it was also, too, it was like, okay, well, here's this world. I don't know it, Right. How do I get myself in there? So for me, it was just all those experiences, same thing. I didn't know nothing about, you know, being an owner-operator. I went into it and got and learned, right? I didn't know nothing about building a staffing agency, right? But I went into it and learned. I didn't know nothing about running a fleet of trucks. I went into it, I learned. So I looked at the tech the same way. I said, okay, well, whatever it is, eventually I'll learn it and make it work to my advantage. And like I said, it took a whole year. Yes, I was getting all the no's, like, you know, kind of building the team, but eventually, man, just start winning pitch competition. And to date, we've raised about um, over $1.1 million from traditional investors. So it was still a learning process. Still have to learn. And I had to, you know, you have to face your fears as well because they will put you to the test. They will gotcha. ask you those hard questions. So to even start get started with the pitch competitions, I mean, you just did you just Google pitch competitions? Did you write your idea down on paper? formulate like a, 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 a presentation and say, I'm going to go to this competition. Like just talk about, about that. How'd that work? Yes. So, yeah. So when I decided to build Fleet, and I remember I said when I came out the hospital and started going to these networking events, right? The first person I met was my co-founder, Paul, which is the CEO of the company. And Paul has a background in helping these companies kind of like, you know, build their pitch deck. You understand? Pitch deck is kind of like your slide, your business slide to show ex- exactly the investor's what the opportunity is, what problem are you solving? Like, you understand, what is the potential money that you can make on it? Like, you understand, and who's the competition and how much money are you asking for? So that's what pretty much a pitch deck is. And Paul was the very first person, like, you know, helping kind of build the pitch, um, pitch deck, really understand the story. And really, Paul spent a lot of time himself understanding exactly what it is that I was trying to build. And the more he saw what it is, the more he got into it. And he was like, man, and we started really building that pitch deck to really narrate the story of telling investors exactly, okay, here, here we are building a platform in transportation logistics. So we had to understand, number one, what is the problem in trucking? So we know the problem was truck drivers don't have flexibility. They're overworked. Some of them are spending 40, 
30 days on the road and only coming home to see their family twice a day, right? That's the problem. And also for trucking companies, there's a shortage of truck drivers and they're also spending five to $10,000 to recruit a new talent. So that means trucking companies are spending billions of dollars annually to find drivers. So clearly there's a problem here. So for us, it was just like, okay, who we are? What is our solution? What is our value prop to the market? So we understood it's like we are the platform that gives these truck drivers the ability to work on their term, on a time that works best for them. And also the solution for the trucking companies was that we give them access to drivers so they don't have to run the recruiting ads, so they don't have to worry about driver churn. So that's how we um, came. So once we understood who we are and what we were solving, then we were able to create a pitch slide around that and kind of go into how big the trucking market is. We had to break everything down. We know the trucking industry is an $800 billion industry, but out of that $800 billion industry, what is our serviceable market, right? Serviceable market is saying, hey, look, what is market that you're going after? And we understand, although the trucking industry is an $800 billion industry, we can't technically say we're going after the whole $800 billion, right? What right. part of the $8 billion are we going after? So which is a serviceable market, right? Which is now how you break that down is how you look at it is 3.5 million drivers across North America, right? Out of 3.5 million, the industry is paying these guys $265 billion total. So that's our addressable market. That's what we're going after. Because remember, we're going after drivers and companies and we're paying drivers. So when you look at 3.5 million drivers and the industry is paying them $265 billion total. So we're saying we're going after the $265 billion market. And you had to understand all of that, all of those detail to tell to the investor and then say, okay, well, currently right now, this is where we are with our company. We're asking for $1 million and this $1 million is going to get us to X, Y, and Z in the next 18 months. So this is, so if you say, okay, I'm asking for a million dollars in the next 18 months, we're going to have 20 customers and 200 drivers, and we're going to be making a million dollars a month in revenue. And at that time we can go for at least a 40, $50 million valuation. So understanding that entire journey to be able to present that story to the investor, to not only get them to see the vision, number one, but to give them the confidence that you are building a great business. You have the right leadership to actually execute on that business. And you also have what it takes to be a winner in that space. So it was a learning curve. I learned it and still learning at it. Like I said, man, I mean, I think so far I've pitched maybe over a hundred investors. Wow. Hey, hey, but listen, we got, we got a lot of great investors on our cap table, man. I told you a, a lot of great investors. As you've seen that we, we won a pitch competition with Chameleonaire. December 2019. And once again, that's because I've learned that entire journey. Went from getting my butt chewed on the stage, asking me questions that I couldn't answer. You understand? It's like when they're asking you certain tech questions and you don't have the tech experience, how do you answer that question? So for me was, once again, doing more research and now understand how do I build a team around that, which I was lucky enough to do. We do have a tech guy and everyone on my team is what Man, like I said, it's amazing. They understand what it is that we're building. I'm the only one that have the trucking experience, the trucking knowledge, but all of them that have the tech experience, they know what it takes to build a company, to run operation and scale a company. So I'm very grateful to have them on my team. That's dope. That's dope. So you, you guys are still raising money um, right now, right? So, yeah. So technically, um, we, we, we did close our round on what we was raising. Um, we, ju- we just closed around early this year. But however, Republic, when we wanted that... Um, 100k from republic uh, from chameleon there in december that came with a deal for us to launch on republic right so republic what republic is is a crowdfunding platform that let regular individuals invest in early emerging tech companies right so for me right the investors that i'm taking money from 
uh, and like accredited investor. Like, and you know, an accredited investor is someone that makes, I think, upward between $300,000 a year, over a million dollars a year, him and his spouse combined. So these investors, they have the opportunity to invest in early tech companies and buy those shares very cheap. So what Republic does, Republic's create a crowdfunding platform where it allows everyone the opportunity to invest like a regular investor. So regular individuals can go on there and purchase shares of Fleeting Now. So that gives you the opportunity to do it like, like you're a accredited investor. So the reason we did it on Republic was we know the community that we're serving. It's truck drivers, you know, shipping and trucking companies. We say, okay, well, let's open up that crowdfunding and give these companies an opportunity to invest in fleeting and give truck drivers the opportunity to invest. And so far, I think we all did almost 170000 on that platform already. Mm. And we just launched on it a couple of what, maybe two months ago? And they just asked us to extend it to another three months. Because they say, hey, look, you guys can definitely get to a million dollars on this platform because a lot of people are interested. A lot of people want to invest. So you guys should definitely take a, um, extend around, which we just did. And right about now, like I said, we're about uh, 170000 And we're definitely confident that we can get to one million. Dope, dope. So where, where is Fleeting right now as far as, um, as a business? So for someone who's a driver right now listening to this podcast and they want to drive and partner with mm-hmm. Fleeting, Right. Because I think that's important. You did. They're actually partnering with you guys. Right. Yes. All right. Um, what 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 would they do? What does that kind of look like? Just to give somebody an example of what the experience would be. So, yeah. So right now, if um, there's two ways somebody can partner with Fleet. And if you're a driver and you don't own a truck. Right. So currently right now, these are the service, the, the areas that we in Jersey, Philadelphia, Baltimore. Right. And Atlanta, this is where we just kind of starting our new operation in Atlanta. So those are where we are. So if somebody's in Texas that download us, you know, we may not have no customers in that region yet as we really, uh, as we scaling and growing. But those regions that I just mentioned, if somebody's in New Jersey, in the New York area, Philly, Baltimore, and they want to partner with us, yes, our app is on the app store. They can download it, but we don't promote our app to all drivers because we only give access to the drivers that go through our vetting process, right? So what that will happen is that driver will come on, do a, a regular DOT standard application, make sure we do a background check, make sure we do an MVR check, make sure we check their previous employer check, and also they go for a pre-employment drug screen. Now, once they pass the drug test, we then now give them access to the app. Then now they can start accepting jobs, right? So based on where they live at, if whatever customer, if they say, hey, look, I want to run for this customer as a dedicated driver, I just want to work for one customer Monday through Friday, then that's what they want to do. Now, if they say, hey, look, I only want to work two days or I only want to work one day, then we find them the customer that they can just get the job for one day. So that's how we're working right now. But if, if, but also, it is also welcome for all drivers, which is another part that we're launching in the next couple of days is the community aspect. The community aspect we're launching is now every truck driver can download that, that, the app and be part of the community, even if they're not drivers, even if they're not partners of Fleeting. We want them to be part of the community so we can educate and empower them and show them, you understand, how to make the best decision for their trucks and also show them exactly how to build relationships directly with shippers and kind of help them improve on their businesses. So that community is being opened up for every truck driver. But for right now, we're only focusing on the guys that don't own any truck, that just want to come onto the platform and find jobs. Also, if an owner-operator own a truck himself, he can sign on as a customer. What do I mean by that? An owner-operator... Sometimes he runs this truck and he barely get the chance to take the day off, right? Or take a few days off. So now with Fleeting, he can register his truck as a customer. Fleeting will put a driver in his truck for him if he needs to take two weeks off. So that means that truck won't sit down. And mm. that's the final driver 365, 24, 7. 
So it's the same way if that owner operator want to go and purchase another truck and drive it themselves and let Fleeting run the other truck. What I mean by Fleeting running it is that he can still do his dispatching, but we guarantee him a driver in his truck 365, 24-7, so he can have a smooth operation. So our platform really helping the driver community really understand their businesses and how they become more entrepreneurial uh, mindset and also helping motor carriers and helping shippers move freight a lot more efficiently without dealing with too much middleman. Gotcha. You said, and you said how many drivers are on the platform right now? You, you mentioned earlier? 300 drivers on the platform now. Dope, dope, dope. That, so, so, so where do you, um, where, where do you see this kind of scaling to? Like, like what, what's your big picture? How, how many drivers do you think that fleeting will have on their platform? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that the, the scalability is there. The opportunity is huge. I mean, with 10,000 drivers, we're automatically a $1.2 billion company, right? Mm. So think about that. And for us is that is we understand is that we don't want to grow too fast, right? Also, growing fast is good. But for us is that we want to make sure that we understand everything that we're doing. Are we really adding values to the drivers? Are we really adding values to the customers? And once those messages are aligned, then absolutely the scalability is there. Like, you understand, across the country, we think is drivers going to see the value of a company that's giving them the opportunity to create their own schedule. And trucking companies are now seeing a lot more values in it because they don't have to spend that five ten thousand dollars $10,000 ad, um, whatever it costs them, you understand, to hire a driver. They don't have to deal with that cost anymore. But the bigger thing what we see for Fleeting is the opportunity that we see is by being able to create those communities, create those relationships with trucking companies and create relationships directly to shippers, this is a big opportunity for us now to turn to the regular community, the average Joe that don't drive trucks, right, that don't own a CDL. How do that person become an entrepreneur themselves in trucking? So Fleeting is also bringing another opportunity where you don't have to be a driver. You don't have to learn anything about trucking. We teach you exactly how to get the truck, get the truck registered, get the truck licensed, and put a driver in your truck for you, manage and dispatch that truck 365, 24-7, and you as an owner, all you do is log in into that platform, put your truck number every day, and see how much your truck makes. So we're giving everyone now the opportunity to be entrepreneurs in trucking without being uh, a truck driver. So now they can make a passive income of $4,000 to $5,000 per month without being a driver. So that model alone, and we getting a lot of people ready to do it. And what's interesting about it is that if you create 5,000 entrepreneurs, right, that means you help 5,000 people purchase a truck. Each truck is going to require about two drivers in them to fully maximize them seven days a week. So you do the math, 5,000 entrepreneurs, that automatically create 10,000 jobs for truckers, right? And you automatically create 5,000 entrepreneurs. And you also create another 1,100 jobs in pretty much call centers. So this is exactly what Freedom is not just here saying, hey, look, we're a tech company and we just here to build a multi-billion. No, we're here to really just add value, show regular individuals how to get become partner, part ownership in trucking. And we want to show them how to do it the most efficient so they can scale their business as well. So it could be a win-win for everyone in transportation. Not the way it is right now. Right now, it's only the brokers and the shippers that's winning. The trucking companies and the owner operators and the drivers they're getting their butt shoot every day and that needs to be changed. And this is what we're building with Fleeting. Mm, wow, man. This, this, this is, this sounds crazy, man. This, this sounds like a really, really um, awesome opportunity with, with a whole lot of upside. Um, are you getting more sleep now as a, as a CEO and founder of Fleeting or uh, it, it, what, 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 what was, what's more difficult juggling this huge responsibility of this mega tech company that you're working on building or running those 
companies with boots on the ground? Oh, no, this one is a lot more challenging. This one is a lot more challenging and it has a lot more pressure. Number one, remember, but the pressure, you took money from investors. So that's already something you got in your back of your mind. I have to execute. I have to execute. You have to execute, right? And then also, for me, what helps is having a team. Although it's a lot more challenging with this one, but I think um, the process is a lot better, a lot smoother, a lot easier because now it's not just me alone. Like I said, I have a team of eight people with me. So it's not like, hey, look, I have to be the guy just running everything in the company. My main job is how do I bring capital into the company? How do I form these customer relationships? I'm talking about these mega carriers. You understand? How do we bring more drivers into the orbit? So I think the fact that I have a team now, although it is a little bit more challenging, especially with COVID-19, I'm pretty sure COVID has impacted a lot of businesses. But for us is, although there is a lot of challenges, I think the fact that I have a team that is so into what we're doing, that's so passionate about it, everyone wake up every day and give their best at it. So it don't feel alone. It don't feel like it's a big challenge. But however, I would not take it for granted that says anything easy like building JPNL or Mac Transport. You know, <laughs> it was a totally different monster. Like the stuff that I have to learn here building this company, when I'm talking about understanding your numbers, understanding exactly what is your runway. When, when is the company going to run out of cash? You understand? When you're going to need to raise capital again? When are you going to be profitable? At what stage are you going to be profitable? What is it that you're going to do to get to profitability? Like it's so much more than just saying, hey, look, you're just running a trucking company with five, 16 truck. Now we're talking about billions of dollars. You're talking about investors that believe in the vision and you're talking about you going after a major, uh, a major, major problem. So this is not something that we're going to solve overnight. This is not a race. This is a marathon. And the thing is we have the bandwidth. We believe in it enough to go through the journey, man. And we believe that we're going to come out on top as winners. We're going to solve this problem. Have you had to make any, any, any uh, mindset shifts um, as, as the, the CEO and founder of fleeting? Yes, absolutely. A lot of mindset is, and that had to come from, you know, number one, from running your own operation on your own and now running an operation with a team. How do you delegate? How do you communicate with your team, right? How do you understand what's working for your team and what's not working for your team? And also, how do you understand the different personalities that you have within your organization? How do you create a culture to make everyone welcome, to feel, make, make everyone feel inclusive to where they could be part of this mission? So for me, it was just much more like my shift was just like, okay, this is not just me again, just running a company and doing as I please and calling a shot. This is much more like, okay, cool. I have a much more structure. I have a team around to where it's like, hey, look, we can brainstorm ideas. Like, you understand, how do we come up with solutions for problems? Once again, when I was by myself, when I had a problem, maybe, you know, I'll smoke a pack of cigarettes and stress myself out, right? <laughs> right. But now it's much more like, okay, I have a problem. Let's get the team. Let's get a board meeting. How do we come up with the solution? How do we solve this problem? And how do we make sure this doesn't happen again. So I think, yes, being a founder of a tech company now definitely uh, shift my mindset and understand how important it is to have that team dynamic, that team leadership. You need to have it. And I think that was one of the biggest, the biggest shift for me was understand now how do you work with a team from being able to work on yourself for all these years? How, how did team build? Because you talked earlier about meeting Matt, who's your CTO, yep. right? And, and, and he was involved in another, in another um, tech project as well, right? Another, uh, yes. What was that Airwatch you talked about before? Yes. Okay. So, so as you got as you guys built the company, like did the the the, the pieces kind of come together? Like how how did that work? How did you reach out to all these different people? Yes. Yeah, so once again, going to those pitch competition, right? And one thing that really worked for me, I was able to attract these great talent was the fact that I was also very transparent about who I was, right? Like I knew my strength and I also knew my weakness. 
So for me, when I go to these pitch conversation, I'll speak to these people like, hey, look, I understand trucking like the back of my hand, like, you understand? But however, I don't know how to code. Like, you understand? How do you intro me to the best engineer? So people really started making introduction, a lot of, you know, engineers. I mean, I went through about two engineers before I met Anil. You understand? And Anil was like a blessing. You understand? And how I met Anil was a very interesting story that I can share with you. Yeah, Anil yeah. And another gentleman in Atlanta was actually building the same platform that we're building here. And the thing about it was the other gentleman that was building it, he built a brokerage firm before and sold it. And they were trying to solve the same problem that we were solving. And what happened is I think they did a year and couldn't get no traction at all, right? Couldn't get no investors. Anil himself even invested in that company's own personal money, invested money into that company. Okay, make it long story short, the company didn't go anywhere. So that gentleman ended up becoming part of my team. Mm-hmm. I had hired him as the president of the company. He was with me for a little while. But unfortunately, I had to make an informed decision as well. And I asked him to step down because he wasn't executing where I felt like the execution should have been. But he, he was the one that also introduced me to Anil, right? Oh, okay. So now I went to Anil. I said, hey, look, man, I know such and such brought you on. Out of respect, I have to let you know that, you know, I had to make the decision that, you know, I couldn't work with him anymore because the execution wasn't there. And Anil was like, look, man, I appreciate the honesty. He said, hey, look, I have a chip on my shoulder. As you know, uh, me and my, this guy, we built the company Airwatch. Yes, we exited. We exit at one, um, a billion and a half. He said, after that, I went through this three-year journey, sabbatical journey, where, you know, just kind of found himself. And what Anil wanted to do, Anil don't just want to build any tech product. Anil want to work on product that's actually adding value to people's lives, right? That's changing people's lives. And that, the trucker story resonated a lot with Anil because he understood, he was like, wow, man, how can America, you understand, depends so much on trucking, but the drivers are getting treated so bad. So this is why Anil was like, look, Pierre, you are the perfect entrepreneur for me to go on this journey on. You say, yes, I tried it with this other gentleman. It didn't work on. We couldn't get no traction. We couldn't even get one customer, you understand, to pay a dollar. And here you are, you know, you have no tech background and you come into me already making twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a month. You understand? With mm. no engineer. So definitely it's my honor, man, to kind of join you on this mission. And that's how we met um, Anil because that and gentleman introduced us to Anil, and Anil ended up staying on the team after I told him me and that gentleman um, is no longer working together. So that's how we got Anil. And like I said, he is what you will call in the tech world a high-ticket talent. Like, he's what you call a rock star. Like, you mm. understand? the type of guy Microsoft will hire with no problem and give him a salary for $2 million a year. Easily. Right. You understand? Right. With that skill. But with Anil, he's not, he's not, he's not that guy. Like, you know what I'm saying? He could have easily taken a job at Microsoft, Google, or Facebook. But as you can see, he's more passionate about building product that actually changed people's lives. And I think the fact that he saw that in me as well. So we perfectly was aligned with each other on that mission. And he saw how passionate I was about solving that problem. And he's passionate about the human, you know, solving problems for the human. So having him on a team, man, is the best thing that happened. Because once Anil took over the product, I'll show you exactly what the first app looked like from the first engineer and what yeah. it looked like now with a nail and I'm talking about smooth product and we're able to bring on more customers and more drivers because of vanilla is on the team. So very wow. appreciative of having them. Dope. Dope. So, so looking back throughout your entire entrepreneurial, um, you know, um, journey, what do you feel is like the, the biggest lesson or the takeaway thus far? Cause obviously you're still, you're still young. You're still going through this journey. You're still building. What's, what's, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned that you could share with our audience? Ah, man, lesson. 
Less and less. And I mean, there's so much, man. I've if, if you had, if you had to put it all in one in in in, in one sentence or, or or one phrase, or what, what what would that be? In one phrase, what would that be? That'd be listen, look, man. Sometimes you just have to jump off the building, jump off, and grow some damn wings before you hit the ground. That'd mm. be it. Man. Jump off the building and just pray to God. You put the work in before you hit the ground, you grow some goddamn wings. That's the best way because too often you have people that have great talent, great ideas, but they don't execute in them because they was afraid of what the world was going to say. They was afraid of what the challenge was going to be. So they never done it. And my message to anyone is like, listen, man, I've been through challenges. I've been in places where I didn't think I was going to come out of. I've been in a hospital where the doctors was telling my family to prepare my funeral arrangement. And here I am today. So I'm saying this to say anyone, any message I should give to you, man. When you find yourself standing on top of that tower, that building, which is life, sometimes you just have to jump. Mm. Put some damn wings before you hit the ground. Because if you don't jump, man, you'll never know what it is that you could change. You'll never know what it is that you could become. You'll never know. You just remain mediocre. So that's why if I could put that for anyone, regardless of what obstacles, regardless of how many times life punches you in the face and knock you to the ground. Always make sure you fall on your back because if you fall on your back, you can always look up and you can always pull yourself up. For sure. How, is, how important is ownership to you and entrepreneurship? Ownership, when you say ownership as far as like ownership as far as ownership in business or as far as ownership as far as in myself? like Both. I mean, ownership is like I think is uh, in business is it's, it's very important. Like you understand, so when we're talking about ownership, it's like what are we talking about? Are we owning? Are we talking about ownership of shares? Are we talking about ownership of... The, the, the troubles. Let, let, let's simplify it. Let, let, let's talk about in business. Just okay. how is how important is it for you um, as a man to, to, to have something that you own? You know what I mean? To, 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 to build something, to build a company, to build a business. It, how important is that to you? Oh, man, that's that's very important, man. Like, you know, I've worked jobs like, you know, so now I've been on the other side of the coin where I was the employee getting treated like I was nobody. So for me, it's like being a, being an employer now, being on the other side of the coin, I think it's very important because that gives me the confidence that eventually, you know, we can change our culture. We could change the way people interact with each other. So being a business owner is not just to say, hey, look, I have my own business. I work when I want to or I make my own money. I think it's also being able to change the um, change the narrative. Right. Because a lot of people saying they're tired of their boss because their boss are assholes, their company are assholes, like you know what I'm saying? And a lot of people, you know what I'm saying, is like they don't know how to deal with employees. But for me, the ownership is, once again, it's not although all those perks that I just mentioned is good. Yeah, you know, I own my I, I work on my term, like you know what I'm I don't answer to anyone. But however, the biggest value out of that is being able to change the narrative of saying, Okay, hey, look, here you are a CEO, you know, saying you get to make the decision, you get to do who get hired, who doesn't get hired. And I think that kind of opened up my eyes to make the best decision to understand how do you create culture, number one, for your company to make everyone feel like they're part of this mission. And also being able to kind of, my children, my children are looking at me. So I always want them to feel like, hey, look, there's nothing wrong with being an employee, right? Because you have to learn somehow, but it's very important to teach them how do they get their own? How do they build their own? Because that's the only thing that's guaranteed because a nine to five is not guaranteed. Let's look at all the people that have been working a nine to five prior to COVID-19, right? That was damn near ready to retire. And then boom, the economy is collapsing in front of our eyes, right? Those people can be in a potential where they can lose all the money that they have worked for. So this is just to show you a nine to five, a college degree is not guaranteed, but ownership 
is very important. So yes, ownership is very big to me. Like that's something that I think, you know, I don't know how I will adapt. God forbid if nothing works, if I'll be a, be another employee, I'm not sure, but right. I think I'll be always be able to build something again because it's very important to kind of like be able to work on your term and be able to change the world, bring, be able to bring something different. Once again, it's not about ego saying, yeah, I'm a CEO. It costs $137 to be a CEO to register. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. I like that. I like that. I never heard it. I never heard it put that way, but you're yeah. Trust me, bro. No, a lot of people get carried away with the with, with the CEO thing. No, for me, it was just like, I do I like that. That's, that's all it costs, man. For anyone who call themselves a CEO, hell with it. It means nothing. What, right. value are you, are, what values are you adding? Are you actually helping someone live a better life? Are you actually helping someone, you understand, become better? So that's most what's most important to me, being able to be in that leadership space and being able to create something that someone can actually use or replicate to make themselves better, you understand, to bring them more finance. So that's where the value is at. No doubt. How's COVID, uh, COVID-19 impacted your business? I mean, COVID-19 has its impact on several fronts, right? We see the impact on the positive way. We see the impact on the negative light, right? So the, the, the impact that we saw on the positive side was the customers that we have that are moving, like, you know, the essentials, like food, beverages, you know, we saw a surge in them requesting more drivers, like our customer, Goya, um, Better Way Transportation, Arizona Ice Tea. We saw them, you know, requesting a lot more drivers to COVID because of the panic purchase, you know, everyone was going out and purchase stuff. But however seeing how the global shipment has come to a complete halt, that really affected the entire supply chain logistics, right? So that means a lot of companies that aren't moving the essentials are hurting right now, right? So if you're not moving medical supply, water, beverages, or waste, you really must feel in the pain because supply chain has come to kind of like the volume is really kind of flattened out. So there's no freight out there. So those companies, a lot of them are going out of business. So we see that impact on two ways. One, we see more customers asking for more drivers, and two, we've seen customers, you know, that don't even have a freight to move to even request a driver. But however, the biggest opportunity is not now. If you think this is chaos now, the chaos is three months down the line when things, or six months down the line. When the markets open back up, if you look at the backlog of freight that still needs to be moved um, through North America, that means there's going to be so much more freight. And all these trucking companies that are going out of business is making it a little bit more lucrative now for more opportunities for any company to be able to get part of these freight because the capacity that we used to have, we're not going to have them anymore because of all these companies that are going out of business. So that means it's going to be more shipment that needs to be moved with less drivers. So that's another talk. That's a different conversation. <laughs> we take a whole day on talking about. No doubt. No doubt for sure. Listen, we, we about to start wrapping it up. We've been rocking out for almost two hours, man. It's, it's yeah, been man. A, 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 I knew this was going to be a, a long one. Um, you know, cause I definitely wanted to dig into all these, um, businesses that you've built and just really like, you know, just, just, just really, um, make sure I highlight your story, man. Cause I think it's so important to show people where you came from. I mean, actually coming from Brooklyn, um, you know, just getting your CDL working as a truck driver to starting a window washing company, to, <laughs> to, to, to starting a staffing company, to starting your own, um, trucking company to now you're in tech. Yes. I mean, you got to look back and really smile and just be proud of your accomplishments, man. And, you know, this is what this is what trucking hustle is about. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's bigger than trucking. It's, it's just about um, ceasing opportunities and, and just evolving. You know what I'm saying? As, as a human. And then um, not only that, when you do f- find these opportunities, finding ways to share it with other people and, and make people better as well. 
You know what I mean? And, that, and that's what you're doing. So um, let's kind of start closing out. Um, I always ask my guests to just give a final thought, um, what, you know, a final jewel, whatever you want to leave the audience with. And then um, just give the audience like a, a call to action. Where could they find you? Where can they connect with you? And then as it relates to fleeting, what, what, what would you like our audience to do? What can they do to help, um, to help what you have going on? Yes, what, how can they help? Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, definitely to help truck drivers all across North America, man. We need you guys as much as we understand that you guys are very important to this industry. You understand without truck drivers, this industry stopped. This entire country stops. So we need drivers to understand it's important that we come together and build this community and provide, you know, valuable services. So if you're a good qualified driver and you're very um, dependable, we want to partner up with you. We need you to be part of this platform so we can scale, so we can keep adding values into this space. If you also own an operator and you're having a problem finding drivers, you understand, for your truck or you want to grow your fleet, we also want to partner with you. If you're an individual that understands trucking not the way you want to understand it and you want to understand more, you can follow me on Instagram, Pierre underscore Gear 5 Every Sunday at 6 p.m., we do something called Trucking Weekly, where we give updates and we educate the masses on trucking. And also, if you're an individual that also wants to be entrepreneurs in trucking, where you can own a truck, two or three, and have your truck registered and fully managed and dispatched under the fleeting platform, and receive passive income, we definitely welcome you to the community as well. We welcome you to follow me again. My name is Pierre underscore Gear 5 on Instagram. And, you know, for truck drivers, man, the message I want to leave out there for you guys is, you know, especially on our operators as well, all these drivers. I did a talk last week where I break down the different type of truckers that we have in the industry and exactly how their behaviors are affecting exactly everything that's happening now. I just want to stress something real quick is that, when you have an owner-operator that owns a 1995 Freightliner and you have an owner-operator that owns a 2017 Freightliner that has expensive insurance on that truck, that has expensive um, maintenance on that truck that you have to pay, that has, you know, expensive note on that truck, that owner-operator cannot just accept any loads. You understand? That owner-operator has to get a load that makes sense for him so he can bring a return. But that owner-operator that owned that old truck is out there just taking anything because you got an old beat up truck. He's not paying that much in insurance and you're just taking anything. And all you're doing is diluting the market. That shit creates a domino effect. It creates a snowball effect. So please truckers understand your unit economics. If you guys want to learn more about that and how do you truly understand your numbers to pick the best load? Once again, follow us again on Instagram. Also our um, company page is uh, drive fleeting. I'm here. I want to spread the message. I want to create this community. I want to help truck drivers now connect directly to shippers and make more money. So if you all want to do this together, I welcome everyone to join and let's build this mission together. For sure. Pierre, it's been a pleasure, man. We, we have some more talking to do offline. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure the Hustle fam got a ton of value from this conversation today. Um, please make sure y'all reach out to Pierre on Instagram. And through his other social media, make sure y'all connect with him. Just hit him up. Let him know y'all heard the show. And, um, you know, and definitely get involved with this project, with this fleeting project. You know, just from me being, having my own experience um, in, in, in this business, I know this could be huge, man. It's a lot of upside. Um, so, so definitely reach out to him. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, man. I, I really appreciate it, brother. 
thank you for what you're doing, man. I really appreciate it. Keep doing it. I think the people need it. Like, you know, we don't have a place where we congregate, where we can mobilize and teach our people how do they understand transportation logistics and how they can take what they've learned and maximize that and become entrepreneurs in it. So I really appreciate what you're doing. Anything I can do to help your business, your show, feel free to reach out, man. I'd love to be a part of it. For sure, bro. I appreciate that, man. All right, Hustle fam, we out. All right, peace. If you like what you heard, it's only going to get better. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a comment. Let us know what you want to learn or hear more about. Till next time, love is love. Truck and hustle.